While divorce is a common topic, adultery is one of the things very few people like to talk about. In fact, the only times you hear about it is when people like adultery. They fantasize about it in their crazy minds. But Parashat Nassau tells us about adultery. And in fact, tonight we're going to address the question of why did somebody that their wife cheated on them deserve to have adultery happen to them? That doesn't sound so nice. Well, in fact, that's the truth. Why do bad things happen to some people that look good? This is a big question that needs answers. In fact, there are many other questions that are going to be asked from people around the world. They ask questions about aliens. They ask questions about different alachot. There's also details about how a person should protect himself and his family from adultery and a lot of other things if they simply knew some of these details. Last but not least, there's a big secret being discussed tonight about special women to marry that make the best wives according to some sages who are they you have to listen in order to find out enjoy it share it donate and most importantly remember be holy we're back here on a wednesday night Stumped the rabbi, we're after some divrei Torah, Bezat Hashem, uh, you guys will ask some questions, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu Bezat Hashem will give us the answers. Uh, tonight's show is going to be for the Refua Shlema, for Rabbanit uh, Sarah Bat Anat, Rabbi Ephraim Ben Shulamit, Rabbanit Levana Bat Sarah, Avimori David Ben Esriya, Imimorati Doris Bat Jora, and all of Am Yisrael and all the righteous Noahides that continue to watch our lectures, share them, and uh, support them in every way they can. Anyone that wants to donate uh, can go to our website, bezratashem.org uh, or bhtorah.org. Uh, and you could also continue to get free stuff from our Kiruv store to distribute in your communities on bhkiruv.org or kiruvstore.org. Uh, over there, there is the uh, new stuff that we have. Bezrat Hashem is uh, being listed as we speak. Uh, and some more stuff will be listed later on uh, in the next uh, day or two. Bezrat Hashem. Uh, this favorite of mine, as I always tell you guys, is the movie cards because these things work and the new version is, in my opinion, much nicer. So, uh, this uh, will be a, a very big success for every community that gets it. So tonight, we're going to go into Parashat Naso. Parashat Naso is well known to uh, discuss different topics uh, that uh, are relevant to every generation, uh, whether it's the issues of uh, modesty, uh, the, uh, the topic of Kisui Rosh, the hair covering, uh, but something that's usually not discussed is really the issues of adultery. Uh, why does adultery happen to people? And I'm not talking about why does the adulterer make uh, the sin. That's an obvious. Uh, people have lust, they follow their lust, and unfortunately end up hurting themselves and others. What I'm talking about is the people that are, in so many words, the victims. The victims to these horrible wives. Why do you have a horrible wife if you are uh, one of those people? A wife that uh, cheats on a husband is a wife that, uh, in so many words, murdered a husband. It's uh, quite a bit of uh, damage in the world is caused by adultery. Of course, there's a damage is reciprocated by the men. But uh, unlike any other generation that uh, we know of, it was recently reported in Israel that uh, the adultery today is uh, greater from the women than it is for men. Uh, and this is obviously a horrible statistic. This is not a statistic you really want to take pride in. 
Uh, you know, adultery obviously is much more common in the secular world than the uh, Froom world, but unfortunately it does happen. It does happen in the Froom world, and one of the primary examples of adultery in the Froom world is the Torah itself, where it talks about this wayward woman. So really, why does adultery happen? We're going to discuss that, Be'ezlat Hashem. And uh, also, we're going to also try to go into something that is going to certainly bother some people, specifically certain communities. Communities that hate people openly, proudly, even though it's against the Torah, and commits endless amount of sins, which we may end up counting. Uh, why is it that those people that people hate are sometimes the best wives, according to the sages? If confused, you won't be for long. So, we're going to go into our journey. We're going into a journey that is going to take us into Parashat Naso. Parashat Naso, first and foremost, uh, has a different senses, different things that uh, Akadosh Bahu included in the Torah to let us know not only the numbers and the tribes and the names, but also specifics, ordinances, and uh, really uh, just giving us the clarification of how observant the Jewish people were uh, at their best when they were following every single little detail. Uh, that Hashem commanded uh, Am Yisrael. and uh, But anytime somebody uh, went against the law, anytime somebody uh, forsook the law, even if it wasn't the worst sin of idol worship or, or desecration of Shabbat, even if they simply uh, you know made a slanderous statement or they uh, said Lashon Hara, which is evil speech that's true but is not supposed to be publicized, these things certainly happened, and any time they happened, at that time of Moshe Rabbeinu, the punishments were not, uh, not something that you had to wait for. They would literally happen on the spot, because people would get all types of diseases when they did these things, or they would get punished with uh, death penalty. Now, at the beginning of the parasha, in uh, chapter 5, it says that uh, Hashem spoke with Moshe, saying, Command the children of Israel that they shall send away the camp, uh, send away from the camp, Anyone who has tzarat, anyone who has a zav discharge, zav discharge is uh, something that we don't really find in the world today, uh, at least not like it is in the Torah, which is a uh, seminal discharge, but is not a uh, regular uh, type of seminal discharge. It happens both to men and women. A zav is a male that has this uh, disgusting liquid coming out of their body uh, as a result of their sins, and they cannot control it. They would actually have to uh, the Gemara in uh, Masechet uh, Avodah Zarah, I believe, uh, no, maybe Masechet Sota, uh, says that the uh, Zav, uh, oh, what am I talking about? It's Masechet Brachot, Masechet Brachot, forget the verse two. Masechet Brachot talks about how the Zav and the Zava uh, had to have a, uh, a certain uh, bag that they would have to put in front of their uh, private area to collect this disgusting uh, uh, liquid that came out of their body, and this was a form of punishment. Uh, and, and it was obviously disgusting, it was obviously something that uh, made the people impure, and they had to be thrown out of the camp until they did tshuva. So this was a different level of punishment that was... Uh, uh, Available at that time, but uh, you know today there's obviously uh, plenty of other ones. Uh, all of these STDs and diseases and uh, you know uh, cancers that are happening to people in their uh, in their reproductive organs are not a, uh, a coincidence. Let's just say that. 
And uh, the Torah continues, and anyone who is contaminated through the bones of a human soul, like a, a human corpse, male and female alike, you shall send away. To the outside of the camp, you shall send them away. The children of Israel did so, they sent them away to the outside of the camp. As Hashem had spoken with Moshe, so did the children of Israel do. Here we see that Am Israel is fulfilling the word of the Torah, the emet, the truth of the Torah, even though this could certainly cause emotional turmoil, even though this could be so-called hurting people, offending people. Uh, The reality is, anytime somebody violated the Torah, there was no room for political correctness, there was no room for uh, uh, being concerned about somebody else's feelings because God's law supersedes your feelings. If someone is uh, uh, violating uh, God's law, uh, then punishing them, uh, uh, rebuking them, protesting against them is a fulfillment of God's law that brings mercy to the world, which we will learn further about in Parashat Pinchas. But uh, the key is to understand that uh, in the world of political correctness that we live in today, where everyone wants uh, their, uh, their apology publicly stated and their uh, reputation uh, 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 you know, honored and all types of uh, warped choices uh, uh, accepted, the Torah doesn't have such language. The Torah has quite the opposite. If you, if you go against the world of the Torah, you are a sinner. And at times, it is important for us Jewish people to rebuke the sinners and even protest against them. There was a recent uh, article that came out that is uh, turning some heads in the uh, Frum community about how the organization Safaria uh, recently uh, uh, published a uh, LGBTQ version of the Tanakh, Hashem Yishmor V'Yatzil. This is literally, uh, re- you know, publicizing idol worship and calling it Torah. This is publicizing pornography. This is publicizing despicable behavior and calling it truth. Now, the people were surprised that this happened. How could they do this? Many from people, many religious people are using them. But yet, when they brought this to me, this was obviously no surprise, not because I'm some genius, but rather because I warned you about this three years ago. I warned people about the organization Safaria several years ago in a clip uh, we actually publicized uh, uh, a few years ago in a lecture where we already told you they have a deep-rooted connection with Christianity. We're not talking about they're, you know, they're friendly with them. We're talking about they're funded by the Christians. They were started by the Christians. And in fact, they pretend to be, uh, you know, interested in the Jewish religion. But in reality, this is simply a ploy. Because you'll see that in uh, uh, books like Pirkei de Rabbi Eliezer, some of the commentary that they use to interpret the words of the holy sages is coming from sources of idolatry of Christianity. So this was something we warned you about several years ago. This is not to say that everything they do is uh, unusable as far as that it's always wrong. There are certainly things there that are perfectly fine. If they simply give you the free access to all types of books that you don't have access to, uh, you know, then it, this is obviously a great uh, source of information. Uh, if they give you translations uh, to English of some of these things, and the translations are sometimes good, uh, uh, more times than not, they're good, uh, and from what I've seen, then this is also good. But does that mean that you should go out there and use it? 
If you have the ability to buy the books, then I already told you, don't use them. Go buy the books. If you have the resources, you have the money, buy the books. Don't use any online source, needless to say, an online source that is questionable, especially if you're new, where you don't know the difference between a good source and a source that's idolatry. So this is something that's very important for people to know that all of what's happening right now is not a surprise this is simply a continuation of what the organization stands for because they're not a jewish organization they're not looking to represent the torah or the jewish people they're simply looking to be a source of information and i would not be surprised if in the coming years they're going to have as much representation about idolatrous uh, uh, works as they do of the holy works of the of the Torah uh this is again their agenda is not to represent Judaism their agenda is not uh, uh being supported by major rabbinical figures the, you know it's used by people but it's certainly not supported by them because anyone that delves into the uh, behind the scenes sees that there are way too many problems now if you go into uh kosher publishing sources uh, such as uh, uh, Feldheim or Art Scroll or uh, some of the obviously uh, uh, great uh, Torah sources in Eretz Yisrael, you're not going to have these the same problems. But it's important for a person to educate themselves, not necessarily only about what's, what's uh, good, but also what's bad. So the Torah is not afraid of publicizing the public disgrace of someone that is going against the Torah. It's a mitzvah. To disgrace such people it's a mitzvah to protest against such people it's a mitzvah to rebuke such people because this is an act of uh, uh warning people number one number two you know it, it's something that is uh honoring hashem and most importantly this is actually what brings uh, mercy to the world because when hashem sees that someone is out there is fighting for the honor of his name then he obviously sees that we have a there's still truth in the world there's still truth in the world this is the reason why hashem destroyed the generation of noah the generate the uh the uh sodom and gomorrah the egyptians the canaanites all of these civilizations got to a point where they literally had no truth left there was no truth left there was no rectification possible and thereby they lost their right to live so when you go and you publicize these bad things that are happening uh you know then you are actually doing it in the, in the name of god now again don't make this the only thing you ever do and the only thing you ever publicize and needless to say the uh the, the one thing that you keep looking for where you're only looking for bad things out there and this is what we discussed in the last couple of weeks moving on into the parasha we see that the torah aside from not being afraid uh of publicizing the uh sins of uh, certain uh, criminals spiritual criminals and sometimes spiritual and civil criminals we go into the story of the sota the sota is uh one of the famous stories in the torah so much so that there is an entire tractate in the talmud uh, that's called Masechet Sota. Highly recommended for people to learn it, to study it, and to understand uh, as much of it as you possibly can, simply because it's not just about this story. It's everything around it, everything that has to do with it, and it even has prophecies at the end of the tractate about the end of times, what will happen in our day-to-day. So 
the sota starts as follows where the uh and i'll translate this uh, uh, right away just simply because we're uh you know we want to try to get as much material as possible today and maybe even get have the benefit of reaching who is the best woman in the world to marry uh and uh, which is going to again make some women very very happy make some husbands very very happy and make certain communities very upset and i'm gonna be happy about it so we're not looking to make them upset we're actually just simply trying to uh remind them that what they're doing is wrong anyway here we see the Torah go into this. Onkelos here translates this as follows. He says, a, uh, Hashem speaks to Moshe, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, any man whose wife will go astray from the ways of modesty and commits falsehood against him by associating with another man and a man will possibly have lain with her a lying seed a lying of seed but it will be hidden from her husband's eyes and he suspects her because she becomes secluded with another man and she's possibly defiled but there is no witness against her who testifies that she actually committed adultery and she has not been seized against her will meaning she wasn't raped she did this willingly and because if she was raped then she's still permissible to her husband but if she committed adultery then she's forbidden to her husband even if he wants to foolishly stay with her he's not allowed to and before this suspicion of adultery is raised a spirit of jealousy will pass over him and he will warn his wife and forbid her to seclude herself with this other man and she ignores his warning and secludes herself with the man and she is defiled or a spirit of jealousy has passed over him and he will warn his wife and give his warning against seclusion and she will ignore him she will ignore the warning and seclude herself with the man and she does not become defiled the man shall bring his wife to the kohen in the mishkan or the bet and he shall bring her offering for her one tenth of three seahs barley flour he shall not pour oil over it and he shall not put levana which is frankincense upon it for it is a mincha of jealousies a mincha of remembrance a reminder of sin and therefore unlike the mincha, the menachot it may not be adorned with oil of levona the coin shall bring her forward and he shall have her stand before Hashem. The coin shall take water of the keel, which is the laver, in an earthenware vessel. Why an earthenware vessel? If you guys remember last year, I told you earthenware vessel is the only uh, uh, thing that cannot be purified if it becomes impure. Once an earthenware uh, plate, bowl, or anything becomes impure, it must be broken. Similar to a marriage, once a woman commits adultery, it cannot be purified the marriage must be broken and the Quran shall take from the earth that is in the foundation of the mishkan and put it in the water and then it talks about the process the Quran shall have the woman stand before hashem and he shall uncover the woman's head to embarrass her to take off her kisuyosh because even the prostitutes had their hair covered in those days so a woman that uh uh is acting as if she's single 
because she's secluding herself with another man, is embarrassed publicly by having her hair taken, uh, her head cover taken off and showing her hair and in essence implying as if she acted, even if she didn't actually commit adultery, she acted as if she's a single woman, as if she doesn't need a kisui rosh. And he shall place upon her hands the mincha of remembrance. It is a mincha offering of jealousies. Then the Kohen gives her the, uh, uh, the warning where if she uh, cheated, then uh, she should know that she is going to blow up and die, in so many words. Uh, and uh, in fact, there's a lot more than just blowing up and die. There are eyes come out, she turns green, the, uh, the, the thighs... Uh, blow up it's a literally most gruesome death possibly that exists and in fact rashi says that this happens to both the woman and the adulterer the man that uh, she cheated on a husband with so here we see a horrific situation one way or the other it's horrific if she cheated i don't have to explain why it's horrific because number one obviously the husband is hurt the kids at home are hurt everybody is hurt our parents are publicly embarrassed any siblings anyone that knows her is obviously uh, gonna be affected by this but in addition to that there's also a public death which is traumatizing to say the least if she didn't cheat it's still horrific why because there's still the public disgrace why does she deserve the public disgrace because even if she didn't cheat she's still called a sota what's a sota a woman that's sata she went out of the traditional way she went out of the way that she's supposed to go that's where the sota is there is a way to go there's a right way she went the wrong way intentionally by secluding herself with a man that's not a husband and ignoring her husband's warnings which was really the worst part secluding herself with another man was bad enough but after her husband warned her and she still did it again this obviously is a tragedy even if she didn't commit adultery so the question here we have is why does this even happen why why does why do women cheat uh of course men cheat as well but again we're going to focus on the women part uh, to a certain extent, more than the men, which it's, it's both are obviously forbidden, but there's a much greater uh, tragedy that happens when women cheat than when men cheat, simply because even if a man cheats, he's still allowed to stay with his wife if she wants to stay with him. Uh, but a woman that cheats, and it's confirmed that she cheated, there's witnesses that she cheated, there is uh, no way that the marriage can stay the same because if there is a baby, there's no way for you to know that, uh, that uh, uh, this uh, baby came from uh, uh, the husband. Uh, that's number one. Number two, the fact that she was defiled makes her forbidden, according to the Torah, from her husband, which is really the greater reason. Now, why does all of this happen? And we cannot say, oh yeah, no, no, these people are secular, they don't know who God is, that's why you can't say it. Why this is a from woman. This is a religious woman. This is a woman that is living in a generation of Moshe Rabenu, a generation that did everything that God says, despite their different flaws from time to time, the test and so on. You see here, Torah testifies they did exactly as God said. This is a the frumest community that ever lived comprised of prophets it's comprised of a uh, the, the greatest people that ever lived and you have your woman that decides 
she's going to act like a wife to somebody else while she's married with kids to, to the to first husband. How? How could this be? Now, the Gemara in Masechet Sota, the first daf, says that if a person is righteous, he will marry a modest woman. Hashem will give him a modest woman to marry. If a person is wicked, then Hashem will give him a immodest woman, a putza. Rashi over there explains why doesn't it say a righteous man marries a righteous woman and a wicked man marries a wicked woman? Why is it righteous with modest and, and, and wicked with immodest? Simple. If she's modest, she's more likely to be righteous. If she's not modest, there is no way in the world she's righteous. She's 100% a perfect fit for this wicked guy. Not all modest women are righteous, but all uh, 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 women that are not modest are wicked. We're not saying they're murderers. We're not, making, we're not saying that they are people that commit adultery, but they are cheating on their husbands, even if they don't commit adultery, just simply with their behavior, with their uh, the way that they uh, present themselves as public property, in so many words, by showing different parts of their body, and so on and so forth. So the Gemara teaches us something that you have all heard at least once or twice, if not a hundred times. But the question still remains, which we actually had an insight on today. Why? Why is this happening to the victim, the husband? Has the same answer as why is it that the righteous man gets a righteous woman, a modest woman, and a wicked man gets a immodest woman? Like, what does it have to do with it? Why can't the wicked guy get a righteous girl? And why can't the righteous guy get a wicked girl? Like, I know that God does all of it, but what's the connection? If you see what the Gemara says 500 times, it's not enough. Why? Because the 501st time is you're going to get a chidush. And the Gemara says the, the follows. So you see, the righteous guy gets the modest girl because she's more likely to be righteous. Because he deserves a righteous woman. Based on his actions. The wicked guy gets a immodest woman. That is showing her arms and legs and who knows what else to the public. Even though that is something that should only be shown to our husband. Why? Because our husband deserves it. What? Yes, he deserves that his wife will treat him that way. Why does he deserve that his wife treat him that way? Because he acted that way. He himself is wicked. And therefore the divine punishment from heaven is telling him, you're wicked here's your sign 
if you see yourself surrounded only by wicked people, if you see that all of your friends are wicked, if you see that all of the people that want to do business with you are thieves, if you see that your wife doesn't want to listen to you, or if you see that your husband can't stand you, if you see that your world is upside down, that is a Kadosh Baruch Hu himself talking to you as if you're Moshe Rabbeinu and telling you that's the indication of what you are. You are being represented by the surroundings that I provide you. If your surroundings are good, righteous people, generous, beautiful, amazing, loving people, holy people, guess what? That is a Kadosh Baruch Hu telling you that's what I think of you. You're surrounded by righteous people because I love you because of the way you act. You're surrounded by wicked people. That's because I love you and I'm reminding you, you're wicked. You see, Rabotai Karim, the righteous person gets the mother's girl because he deserves her because he is righteous. The wicked guy gets the immodest woman because he deserves to suffer the agony of being jealous of every single guy out there that sees his wife, if he simply goes to the store with her, he has to deal with the fact that 15 different guys are thinking about his wife. If his wife leaves and she doesn't come back exactly five minutes later, he has to wonder, did she meet somebody? Is she talking to somebody? If he sees his wife playing on the phone for more than 30 seconds, he's wondering, wait, who's she talking to? If his wife mentions another guy's name, he has to think, why is she talking to a guy? Who is this guy? How do you know this guy? What is this guy? Who's this guy? I work for this guy. I know this guy. He has all of these thoughts. Why? Because he's wicked. The fact that she's doing wrong, obviously she'll get punished for. But we're talking about the victim. The so-called victim we just realized is not a victim. He's a perpetrator too. He did it to himself. You decided to marry a girl that looks like one of these zonot on television. What did you think you're going to get? What did you think you're going to get? What did you think you're going to get? You wanted to marry somebody purely because of our looks. You wanted to marry somebody purely because of all of your lust and the disasters that are happening in your mind. What do you think she's going to turn into? Uh, Aunt Betty making you cake? What did you think you're going to get? You met, her, you met her at the nightclub. That's what you got. Yeah, but now we have kids. Sure, you have kids. You'll be the babysitter. She'll go back out to the club. And this Rabotaya Karim is one of the most important insights that we can learn here. The girl that cheated on her husband. Obviously, it's terrible. It's horrible. She may end up dying as a result of it as a punishment from Hashem. But why is the husband getting punished? Because he is wicked. He did things wrong to deserve this. Now, of course, you're going to say, yeah, but maybe there's other reasons. And you'd be right. There are. There are other reasons. What are the other reasons? Let's see. Rambam. Ilchot Isure Bia, chapter 22. Alakha, number 18 and 19. The Rambam, Holy Rambam, says as follows. He gives us a reality check of all reality checks for every generation that's ever going to live until Mashiach comes when this is no longer going to be the case. And he says as follows. There is nothing in the entire Torah 
that is more difficult for the majority of people to separate themselves from than sexual misconduct and forbidden relationships, i.e. adultery, and obviously everything else. Our sages said, he brings the, uh, the Sifli, also in Gemara Masechet Shabbat, page 130b, and he says, when the Jewish people were commanded regarding forbidden sexual relations, they started weeping, crying, and they accepted this mitzvah with complaints and moaning. They weren't happy about this mitzvah. As is implied by the verse, crying among their families, which is interpreted as meaning crying about their families. Because some of them were married to people they were not allowed to marry. He wasn't allowed to marry his aunt according to the Torah. He didn't know it because he didn't get the Torah yet, but he wasn't allowed. So he had to divorce his wife, even though he has 10 kids with her, 20 kids with her. Why? The Torah does forbid you for marrying your aunt. He married his, uh, his, his wife's mother after his wife died, or even while she was a, not allowed. He married two sisters, not allowed. All types of things the Torah forbid. Now they got the Torah, they have kids with these ladies. Torah says you have to get a divorce. When? Yesterday. So Amisad started crying. All of these restrictions. And our sages said, a person's soul desires and craves theft and forbidden sexual relations. You will never find a community that does not have some people who are promiscuous regarding forbidding relationships and prohibited sexual conduct. And moreover, our sages said in the Gemara Maser Bava Batra, page 165a, most people trespass with regards to theft, a minority trespass with regards to forbidden sexual conduct, and all with regards to the shade of undesirable gossip. Here the Rambam gives us a reality check of all reality checks, regardless of what community you're in. Whether you are in New York, you're in Florida, you're in Bnei Brak, you're in Yerushalayim, you're in Los Angeles, you're in Detroit. It doesn't make a difference where you are. This problem exists. And until Mashiach Tzitkenu comes, this will continue to exist. But the Rambam gives us ways for us to protect ourselves. Ways for us to, at the very least, do something about it rather than just simply suffer the consequences. Now, of course, we could say, just do tshuva, fix yourself, and everything will be fine. But it's easier said than done, especially if you don't have the instructions of how. The laws of Yichud are some of the most critical laws that a person needs to know, needs to follow if they want to have a happy life. Not only a happy relationship with their creator, but a happy relationship with their spouse. And this is relevant to both men and women, family members and strangers. There's an organization, wonderful organization, that publicizes the laws of Yichud on a regular basis. It's called Do'eu. Highly recommend you guys sign up to their newsletter, but I'll read you some things they publicized in recent months that are certainly things that are very valuable and relevant to what we're dealing with right now. And one of the reasons that this is a uh, uh, something that we're recommending without obviously getting paid, without even being asked to recommend, is simply because we see the truth in it. Number one, the topic. Number two, the sources. They provide sources for everything. When you see someone is claiming to represent the Torah, but every time they speak, they don't, rep- they don't bring any sources, they just bring their opinions, then obviously this person could be problematic. 
But if you see somebody is quoting sources from a Torah, from across the globus of a Torah, and is not afraid to state the truth for what it is, this is obviously a good representation of Torah. Now, the Puskim have a general rule when it comes to the issues of Libo Gasba, which is a uh, something that most people probably never even heard of. This is when certain people feel comfortable with different people in their life because they're familiar with them. They're familiar with their co-workers, they're familiar with their uh, family members. And that's why, in fact, there are times, the Shulchan Aruch in Eben Ezel, in Siman 29, Alachan number 9, says that there are actually going to be certain times where there's even more restrictions with family members than there is with others. Some there's, sometimes there's less, but there is a concept called Libo Gasba. And the topic or the Alachot of Yichud, which is the two people of the opposite gender, and I should even say with attraction to each other, even if they're not the opposite gender, have to know that it's forbidden for you to be in a non-public place or a place where other people can't just come and go as they please. And these are some of the things that a person has to consider. is when a man and a woman are together and find themselves together on a key, uh, either on occasion or, or regularly because they work together. When it comes to the laws of Yichud, the Rambam reminds us in the Alachad that I just mentioned that there's a greater Yetzirah for these types of sins, of adultery, of, of promiscuity, than anything else. The Gemara in Masechet Kiddushin, page 80b, says that an only son is allowed to be secluded with his mother, and a daughter is allowed to be secluded with her father, but it is forbidden by the Torah for a person to be secluded with any other women or men the opposite gender, or if they have these ta'avot, even the same gender, that are forbidden to them. There are exceptions to the rule between brothers and sisters, but only if it's a temporary basis, which we're going to get to in a moment. The prohibition of Yichud applies in every setting, even for business purposes. If an office is set up in a way that makes it impossible for a person not to transgress the prohibition of Yichud, a person must quit his or her job and look for work elsewhere. This is Shulchan Aruch Eben Ezel, chapter 22, Siman 22, uh, Alachan number 7. In so many words, if you are in a situation where you are a, let's say, a secretary, and your boss is the opposite gender and it's only you and them in the office all day nobody else you have to quit can't stay at that job 
If there are other people in the office, then you have something to rely on. You can stay. But if it's only two people, opposite gender, you have to quit. Why? Because you're not allowed to be together for that long all the time in in such a fashion. It's forbidden for a man and a woman to be alone together in a place where they cannot be seen by others and when no one else is expected to enter, says the Shulchan Aruch in Eben Ezel 22. Also the Shut Baz brings it. The prohibition of Yichud applies both to when one man is secluded with one woman and when one man is secluded with two women, meaning if he thinks, listen, I'm okay, I'm, uh, I'm the, uh, the boss, and uh, I have two secretaries, so that's okay, right? Wrong. Oh, she's the boss, and me and another girl work for her. Wrong, not allowed. One man with two women, doesn't make a difference who's who. The boss, the worker, not allowed to do such a thing. If that's your situation, look for a new job. And until then, collect unemployment. The halachot of Yichud also apply when secluded with a non-Jewish man or woman. Why? They're forbidden to you. So it's not just like between Jews. Meaning if a Jew is secluded with another Jew or a Jew is secluded with a non-Jew, there's no difference. They are not allowed. Yichud applies in any place where other people are not expected to walk in or see the people who are secluded there. This includes a room that's behind a closed door an, or even an open place such as a field, but yet at a time where no one is around. For example, somebody tells you, listen, meet me in the uh, football field at 2 o'clock in the morning. I want to tell you something. Tell me on the phone. Send a text message. It's free. Why? Not allowed. Why? Because no one is expected to be on this football field at 2 o'clock in the morning. If he tells you at 2 o'clock in the afternoon when there's a bunch of people playing with, uh, with a sport, by all means, you need to meet there. If that's your place of choice, not a problem. But if he says that it's a sometime that nobody else is going to be there, forbidden. Even though it's an open place. An area in the street that it's not visible to drivers passing by or to people looking out of their windows of their homes where other people do not often pass by. This is like, for example, somebody telling you, uh, meet me behind the uh, building or on the side of the building. Yichud applies even when there's no breach of tzniut even being made. Even if a person is fully confident that he will control himself and not be tempted to do anything improper, it's still prohibited. This you will find in Shut, uh, the, the response of Minchat Shlomo, where some people say, listen, I get it. Not allowed to be alone with another woman, but don't worry about it. I'm married, happily, and this uh, this other person that I'm meeting, they uh, they look like three people. They eat two people on the way, so I'm not attracted to this person. They're really big. I'm really small. They're a different religion. They're a different belief system. I don't even like them. Forbidden. She's 99 years old. I am 16. Forbidden. I'm happily married, forbidden. I'm single, forbidden. Why? That's why. Now what about going on a, a date? Dates are fine, as long as there's other people there. 
once he invites you to his house she invites you to her house you are now going into forbidden areas the prohibition of yichud for a male begins at the age of 13. from the time he reaches that age he may not be alone with a girl or a woman who is at least three years old Shuchan Aruch, Eben Ezer, chapter 22 number 11. he's 13 years old if it's not his mother or his younger sister or it's another girl that's living in his house his sister meaning you have a problem if it's his cousin if it's his uh, he likes to play with his female cousin she's 16 he's 13 they're really good friends they grew up together unless there's another person uh, adults uh, over there unless there's other people over there there's no permission for them to be alone the prohibition for a female begins when she is 12 years old from that point she may not be alone with a male who is at least nine years old here we see that the male is forbidden from being with a girl from the age of three meaning he's 13 even if the girl is three meaning you cannot have a 16 year old boy babysit your babysit your uh, two little daughters that are six and three years old or eight years old can't do it you want a babysitter have a girl same thing if you have a uh you know you have a couple of boys you have eight nine ten year old boy five year old boy and there's a nice girl in a neighborhood really big tzadika she wants to babysit she loves your kids unless you're going to be there too not allowed why but she's really nice good she's nice buy her a cookie why it's not allowed these things lead to problems you want somebody to babysit your kids if they're males get a male babysitter if they're females get a female babysitter if not if you can't get one or the other simply stay home or take them with you according to the letter of the law there's no prohibition of yichud if a boy is under 13 and is being secluded with a girl that's less than 12. but the poskin write that a person should act stringently stringently regarding this matter and therefore a boy who is nine years old rather than 13 should not be alone with a girl who is at least five years old if such a situation arises one should consult the rav to discuss how to proceed and it's important to note that the poskim are of the opinion that one must be stringent in this matter from the time that the girl turns three to whom does Yehud apply? The prohibition of Yehud applies to any man who is alone with any woman, even if they are related, with the exception of very close family members. Meaning, the prohibition is uncle with the niece, prohibition of aunt with the nephew, father-in-law and daughter-in-law. Oh yeah, but she's like my daughter. Good, she's like your daughter, but she's not your daughter. You're not allowed to be alone with her. You cannot take your daughter-in-law shopping. You want to take your son and his wife shopping no problem shop for a house shop for a car shop for uh, i don't know shabbat shop for whatever you want with both of them your daughter-in-law alone no permission whatsoever the mother-in-law with the son-in-law what i love my mother-in-law she's like my second mother yes she's like your second mother but she's not if she was your mother you're allowed to be alone with her no problem 
No problem. But she's not your mother. And therefore it's forbidden. Brother-in-law and a sister-in-law. Chatan and his own kala before their wedding. You have two kids, young 20-year-olds. He met her, she met him. They really think that they could build a Jewish home together. Of course, there's no intimacy before marriage. So we're not worried about that. They go on the few dates to get to know each other to see if they could build a future together. They're looking for the right things, which is number one. Do we have the same ideology? Do we want the same things? If he wants to go fly planes for a living and I want him to go learn Torah for a living, that's obviously a pretty wide difference between us. If she wants to have two kids and a dog and he wants to have a normal family, which is more than two kids and most likely no dogs, we have a problem. If he wants to go to the beach on Shabbat and she wants him to go to synagogue on Shabbat, that's a problem. But if you have a similar ideology, then you go to step two. What's step two? Is there any type of attraction between you? We're not talking about attraction with all types of disgusting lusts and, and all types of dreams and fantasies that people have in their head. We're talking about simply, does she disgust you? Does he disgust you? Or do you see that there is some type of attraction there? If they don't disgust you, you have the same ideology, all the other positive things that you want will come with time. If you're only looking for attraction, you care less about the ideology, just make sure that the rabbi that gives you the wedding, he also gives you the business card because you're going to probably get a divorce. So you have to call somebody to help you with the divorce. Why? Because if you marry a woman just because of our looks, if you marry a man just because of his money, it's only a matter of time before you get divorced. So a person needs to take these things into consideration. And therefore, if let's say you found somebody, he's the right guy, she's the right girl, we're going to get married. Yay. Okay, great. When's the marriage? Okay, it's next week. It's next month. It's coming around the corner. It's tomorrow. Even if it's tomorrow, the boy and the girl that are not married yet are not allowed to be alone. They're not allowed to be alone. Why? Because it's even more dangerous at that time where they can think, listen, I'm marrying her tomorrow. She's going to be allowed to meet tomorrow. What's the big deal? Tomorrow. There's a story that came to me, unfortunately. Young girl grew up from everything's good. From kept herself, preserved herself. Some people recommended this other guy, this guy to, uh, to meet. She met this guy. Everything went okay. And uh, they were scheduled to get married. Shortly before the marriage, he tells her, come on, let's hang out. I miss you. Yeah, but we were really not supposed to see each other right now. We already decided we're going to see each other next week. Two weeks from now, we're going to see each other. No, no, come on. Just come over. Just come over. No, 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 no. She falls for it, she goes to the house, and they do the mistake of a lifetime. Why a mistake of a lifetime? Because she told me with tears, literally crocodile tears. She sent me a message, maybe 20-minute message, crying the whole time, and I'm crying listening to the message. Literally, the second this filthy animal finished being an animal, he told her, I'm not marrying you. 
I can't stand you. You disgust me. There's a reason why our sages clarified the law for us. One would be wise to listen. The prohibition of Yichud does not apply to very close family members, meaning a father is allowed to be alone with his daughter, a mother with her son, grandfather with his biological granddaughter, no problem, grandmother with the biological grandson, no problem. What about brother and sister? When they're little, five, six, seven, eight years old, no problem. But once they're already past the age of 13 and 12, boy and girl respectively, they're considered adults. You have to be more careful, especially once they move out of the house. A lot of times it happens where the guy moves out of the house, he's 20 years old, either to get married or simply go on his own. He got a place. A little while later, his uh, sister also wants to move out for whatever reason, but she doesn't have the money yet. She figures, you know what? My brother has a house. He's got three rooms. He's only one person. So let me just stay by him. Yes, uh, I'll take a room. I'll pay a part of the rent. Forbidden. Why? Because this is already considered bikviut regularly. They're not allowed to be next to alone regularly. If she comes over for a short period of time, no problem. But once she moves into the house, that's already considered regularly, they're not allowed to live together. So we see from here, Rabotai Yekalim, Yichud is certainly a uh, very detailed and very, very important. It even applies to a Yichud with an ill person. There's a prohibition of Yichud applied to an unhealthy man or woman, even if the patient is extremely sick. Unless there is a uh, life risk, which at that point then uh, the, the law doesn't apply, if there's a life danger. But if somebody is sick, again, you have to know the laws of Yichud. Even if a person works with special needs children or adults, they have to speak to a Rav in order to know the details of Yichud and how they could resolve any type of issues. And also, Yichud does not have an age limit. Whether the person you're going to meet is a uh, uh, 90 years old and you're 16, or the opposite doesn't make a difference. Now, this also is relevant when it comes to our topic at hand. Why? Adultery is not something that just happens. Adultery is something that is an evil that grows over time. An evil that is developed within a person that does not follow the law for a period of time. Where a person can say, I'm from, but in reality, that's only an appearance. There are people today that don't understand the laws of Yehud. They present themselves as religious, even religious professionals. And they violate the law on a regular basis. Where they say, listen, they are professional psychiatrists. Therapists of all kinds. No problem. You could be a therapist. The problem is, when this therapist is a male, 
and the vast majority of his clients, or even a, uh, a, a, on a regular basis, he has female clients that are alone with him in a room for extended periods of time. This is a problem. First of all, the woman should find a female therapist and a male, a male therapist. Why? You'll avoid problems. One of the tshuva stories that we're going to publish soon, Bezat Hashem, is a woman that came and said that she wants to leave her husband and kids. Why? She's in love with a therapist. Therapist? What do you mean therapist? What are you talking about? Well, there were some problems at home. The husband wasn't necessarily paying attention to her. He wasn't being the greatest husband as far as giving her the attention she needed. She felt like she needed therapy. She, even though she's religious, religious people have problems. No problem. So she looked up a therapist and she found there's a therapist who happens to be also religious. And she didn't know the laws of Yichud. So she called, he's a therapist, he's a nice man, religious, has a family. Okay, he's going to be my therapist. Hashem had mercy on her that this happened during the times of Corona. So she couldn't see him face to face. It was only on the phone. But it wasn't long before the therapy sessions turned into personal conversations and they started talking about all types of things they really shouldn't. She realized that she's not doing the right thing by herself and her family, so she decided to take a break. Well, the therapist didn't want to be a therapist anymore, so he decided to pick up the phone one day and call and say, Honey, I miss you. Honey, I thought I was patient number 101. No, no, you're honey. And honey turned into patient. And patient turned into honey. And everything became big disaster. And he started expressing his affection to her, his love to her, and how he loves her. And she says, oh, since this is the first guy that tells me I love you, and uh, I mean, who knows how many months, a husband forgot the words I love you. So they start talking, and she starts falling in love with him, and he says, I am leaving my wife. And she says, I'm leaving my husband. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu got involved. And he said, hold on a second, before you leave, and you listen to this therapist, he put on YouTube, there's a lecture, some guy named Yaron Reuven, press play. She presses play. She presses play, and she gets the shock of her life. She presses play again for another lecture, shock of her life she presses play again she goes on binge watching eventually she arrives at the movie Gehenom she disconnected from the therapist that day and didn't speak to him since Baruch Hashem we've tried to do as much as we can to help both her and her husband but the reality is that a from family was on the verge of complete annihilation and permanent destruction simply because of ignorance of basic laws now who are we to say that uh this is what the torah says well let's see book of kings 2 chapter 17 the time of Am Yisrael wasn't exactly doing what they were supposed to be doing, as the Gemara in Masechet Sanhedrin says. Sancheriv was taking over the world 
came to Israel and took 10 of the tribes out of Israel after defeating them in war 10 out of the tribes took them out of Israel dispersed them all over Africa but he wanted to put somebody else to replace him so he bring he brought a bunch of goyim a bunch of kutim to Israel here you go see I'm a good king so these kutim came to Israel with their idolatry with their craziness and it says in verse number 24 the king of Assyria brought people from Babylonia and Kuta and Ava and Hamat and Sepharavim Sepharavim and settled them in the cities of Samaria in the place of the children of Israel they took the possession of Samaria and they settled in its cities and it happened that at the beginning of the period of their dwelling they did not fear Hashem and Hashem incited lions against them and they were killing among them they spoke to the king of Assyria saying the nations that you have exiled and settled in the cities of Samaria do not know the laws of the God of the land he has incited lions against them and they're now killing them because they don't know the law of the God of the land so these goyim these kutim they come to the land of Israel and even though they were always idol worshipers to be an idol worshiper outside of Israel is different than being an idol worshiper inside the land of Israel it's a holy land so Akadosh sends a bunch of lions to kill a bunch of them and everyone knows this is an act of God how do they know they're idol worshipers because the lions weren't killing them to eat them they simply just killed them everyone knew this is a divine hand it continues it says that the people of Babylonia made Sukkot Benot the people of Kuta made Nergal the people of Hamat made Ashima the Avites made Nishab who's this what is this what all this all of these Kutim said listen we need to uh fear this God fine but we're not leaving our gods so what do they do the uh some say it was a uh Sanchariv sent them one of the Jews one of the Kohanim told them listen the law of God is you're not allowed to be an idol worshiper there's a God of Israel oh okay okay we'll serve this God of Israel no problem so they serve the God of Israel but in an unusual way what's the unusual way he said listen he is the God of gods but he's probably expecting that we're gonna serve our gods also right that's what made sense in their head so each one made a made a God one of them made Sukkot what's Sukkot they made a chicken statue of a chicken into a god another one made Nergal what's Nergal a rooster chicken's not enough he wants a rooster why she has a bigger carbolet made that into a god they made the, the rooster into god another one made Ashima what's Ashima a goat took a goat that's god that's got to them another one made Nivchav what's Nivchav a barking dog they made a statue of a barking dog oh that's God for them another one made Tartak donkey donkey is God for them Adar Melech mule wow he's special he's not a donkey he's a mule you know marriage between the horse and the uh, donkey and also listen let's not forget the horse so another one made Anar Melech which is a horse 
So it says the following here, that these kuti made all of these gods. But yet, on verse number 32, it says something unusual. They feared Hashem. Wait, you just made an idol, a rooster, a chicken, a horse. A, you made all types of crazy What feared Hashem? I have to read the rest of the verse. They feared Hashem and they appointed some from among themselves as priests for the high places. And they would perform the rituals for them in the high places of temples. They feared Hashem, but they worshipped their own gods as well, according to the practices of the nations from which they had been exiled. So here we see that there are crazy people that say they actually fear Hashem. They fear that Hashem will punish them. They fear that Hashem will kill them. They fear that Hashem will take their money. They fear that Hashem will do all types of things. No problem. But they continue being idol worshippers. They continue being sinners. This is not an innovation. This is not unique. What does the Midrash say about this? Midrash Rabbah, Parashat Naso, this week's parasha, says the following. Another explanation of the verse that says, a man holy shall be his. This is to be understood in light of which it's written in the uh, Song of Ascents. Praiseworthy, this is uh, in Psalms, Psalm 128, verse 1. Praiseworthy is each person who fears Hashem, who walks in his ways. It doesn't say praiseworthy is the Israelite. Praiseworthy are the Kohanim or praiseworthy are the Levites. But rather it says, praiseworthy is each person who fears Hashem. Who are these people that fear Hashem that are considered praiseworthy? These are references to the converts, the Jewish converts who fear Hashem. People that came from all types of idolatry, Christianity, Catholicism, Islam, Buddhism, whatever other crazy religions there are out there. And they realized that Judaism is the only truth in the world. And they converted to Judaism. They fear Hashem. They're the ones that King David is talking about. They're the ones that are praiseworthy. And it's teaching us that they are blessed. They're blessed as with the term praiseworthy. Just as it says according to the Israelites. Praiseworthy are you, O Israel. In Deuteronomy chapter 33 verse 29. Israelites is referring to the natural born Jews. So it's stated regarding the converts. Praiseworthy is each person who fears Hashem. And regarding which type of convert is it stating that it's praiseworthy? Regarding the convert that is a righteous convert, the Gertzedek. It's not stated regarding the converts like the Kuthites that we're talking about in the book of Kings 2. It's not talking about the Kuthites. Because on them it's written, they feared Hashem, but they worshipped their own gods. But regarding the, the convert who fears the Holy One, blessed is he, and walks in his way of the Holy One, blessed is he. Thus it's written in Psalms, who walks in his ways. So here we see that in order for a person to be a righteous convert, it's not enough to be someone says, oh, I fear God, I fear Gehenna, I fear punishment. It's not enough. In fact, even if you're a natural born Jew, say, oh, I'm afraid of cancer, I'm afraid of losing money. It's not enough. 
you want to be praiseworthy you have to fear and have that fear influence you to go in the ways of god meaning if that fear is simply you're afraid like you're afraid from somebody stealing your money you're afraid from somebody stealing your meal you're afraid from somebody stealing your toys that's not fear that's not real fear but if your fear leads you to serve god better you do more mitzvot you're more generous you're working on your character traits you're more honest that's fear that's walking in the ways of god and then the midrash gives us the ultimate present ultimate present why there are communities today we've spoken about that literally have signs in the opening of their synagogues where they say we don't want converts we don't accept converts and there are individuals that go against converts too even though the torah mentions akadosh baruch's love for the converts 36 times and the zohar says 46 times because there's other places which means that anybody that publicizes any sign that says we don't accept converts that's like somebody putting a billboard in the middle of a highway 95 saying i eat pig i worship idols i am a uh, enemy of god 36 times 48 times whichever number you want to pick would you allow your kids to go hang out with that person would you allow your friends to do a event with such a person would you go attend their schools that would you want to be even associated with such people no just like i don't want you to go and desecrate my uh, my god i don't want you to desecrate my my friends my my brothers my sister what's wrong with you but unfortunately today people don't know enough and therefore they allow the stupidity to continue and when i mentioned it last week when i said that there's a school that open they have a on their application in big red letters on the internet they outright make a statement they are against converts when i brought this to my rav he said why would anybody want to send their kids there even if they're not converts and asked him why he said this he said exactly what i just said to you he's like it's somebody it's that's the equivalent of somebody having a billboard saying i hate god I eat pig I'm an idol worshiper it's no different why that's a sin that's a sin it's just that this is 36 different sins now what about if you found a shiduch and she happens to be a convert maybe you're afraid that maybe she's gonna go back to her old ways like some chutzpan contacted me a few days ago and said listen why do you tell people that they should convert I said first of all I don't tell anybody to convert anyone that comes to me watching my lectures because they want to convert and if i can help them i help them i don't go and uh, knock on doors excuse me muhammad you want to convert yes okay come salam alaikum excuse me chris how are you okay put your idol down yeah you want to convert okay come yalla let's go what do you think i go around doors asking people want to convert no people come watch the lectures because they already want to convert they want to learn the truth no but that's not what the sages did i said you never learned gemara you learned gemara you're gonna see what the sages did how they promoted conversion especially at a time where to be a jew was a life risk but most people think no no because 
maybe this communities or these people that are against converts maybe maybe there's something to what they're saying let's see what the torah says because so far the converts are winning they're praiseworthy in the name of god what else does it say king david continues psalm 128 verse 2 when it says when you eat the labor of your hands you're praiseworthy and it is well with you when you eat the labor of your hands what is this referring to this is referring to the convert who says to himself i don't have any avot, ancestral merit meaning my father my grandfather they're not big torah sages they're not even jewish oi to me woe to me that i don't have this ancestral merit i'm not like these average jews over here that their father is a big rabbi their uncle their grandfather all these people woe to me king david says no don't ever say such a thing don't ever say such a thing why why don't say such a thing why you're gonna think that why because you don't have any ancestral merit therefore whatever uh good that you do you're gonna earn your reward only in this world but to us is otherwise king david says otherwise what does he say says the convert the convert is gonna have his own merit and that's what he shall eat in this world and the world to come and that's why it's written when you eat the labor of your hands these being the reference to the good deeds in which the convert labored in this world and it says in the book of job chapter 3 verse 13 and there are those who have exhausted their strength rest this is referring to whatever you're able to do with your strength do it for there is neither doing or reckoning nor your uh, nor knowledge nor wisdom in the grave where you are going this is uh, shlomo melech what is the uh, what is also referring to this is referring to the reward of the convert who labors in performing good deeds praiseworthy are you and all is well with you all is well with you is twofold praiseworthy are you in this world and all is well with you in olam Abba. and the one that marries the convert ooh, your wife will be like a fruitful vine in the inner chambers of your home and your children will be like olive shoots surrounding your table says david melech this is telling the righteous convert that even though his wife converted and was not originally from the daughters of israel she is nevertheless considered like one of the daughters of israel and thus it's written your wife will be like the fruitful vine these being the illusions of the people of israel as it says in Telim, you cause a grapevine to journey from egypt the verse is saying that she will be like a fruitful vine meaning that a vine that bears fruits not like an empty vine reassuring the righteous convert that she will merit having children and thus the inner chambers of your home when the converts uh, uh, when the uh, the wife conducts herself with the standards of judaism namely that she is modest she merits that from her will come sons who are the masters of the mishnah who are the masters of the torah who are the masters of good deeds this is what's written on her your children will be like olive shoots and just as an olive tree produces olives that are fit for consumption 
olives that are fit for consumption after drying and olives that are good for making oil whose oil burns better than all of the other oils and its leaves do not fall off neither in the summer nor in the winter similarly with the sons of the convert when they arrive where some of them are going to be the masters of Torah the scripture some of them are going to be masters of the Mishnah the oral Torah and some of them are going to be businessmen and some of them are going to be wise men some of them are understanding and some of them know how to determine the matters according to its time and they have offspring that endure forever meaning even these kids that came from the convert they're gonna have uh, endless blessing and therefore the verse concludes surrounding your table meaning that your merit will stand for your children and that from your table your children will merit to attain great heights and therefore king uh, king david continues in psalm 128 says behold for so is blessed the man who fears hashem meaning that the convert who fears hashem can be assured of the aforementioned blessing for so do we find regarding avraham and sarah who themselves were converts avraham feared god and he he was blessed in this manner and so will he will be blessed all of the converts who conduct themselves as Avraham and Sarah did. So you're gonna tell me that if you found a righteous convert that's modest, you're going to not marry her because some community has a sign on their door and some imbeciles that don't know even know Aleph Bet of Torah tell you that it's maybe she's gonna go back to her way I don't think so because anyone that has a brain in their head and knows of the dangers of the world and has a blessing available to them such as this runs after it more than they will run after any treasure this too will help people in all communities including those communities that I'm speaking about realize what the Torah says and that it's the words of the living God this is the truth and nothing else can contradict it I'm gonna get a quick drink and then you guys can start asking some questions about the ship all right we're gonna start off with my TikTok friends let's see what we got why is NASA making world news about UFOs Oh, I guess somebody is making all these comments about UFOs. Uh, so I'll ask the question, does the Torah mention UFOs? There are certainly parts of the Torah that uh, discuss things that are not what we would call normal. As we discussed in last night's lecture, King Solomon was... Uh, the king not only of people but he was king of all the over all creatures on earth all of the animals and even the demons in fact the Gemara in Masechet Gitin says that he utilized demons for different uh, things he was also the king of creatures that are of different shapes and live in different places underground and he brought some of them uh, to show it to people but he was not able to bring them back to their habitat because they live literally under the earth 
There were very, very small creatures. There were creatures that had multiple heads. Uh, all types of interesting types of creatures. And Shlomo HaMelech, if you uh, read the Midrashim, and you also even look at some of the uh, writings, you see that Shlomo HaMelech is, uh, uh, had uh, a lot of uh, interesting conversations and experiences uh, with uh, what we would call the abnormal. Now, the Gemara mentions that there are certain types of creatures that we would define them as aliens because they're different from us. They're, uh, you know, they're, uh, they seem like they're from a different planet, but the truth is that they're actually from our planet. There's a certain types of animal that is a, uh, a very uh, a vicious, horrific animal that uh, anyone that uh, comes near it, doesn't matter what it is, big or small, will see its end very quickly. It will kill anything. Lions, people, doesn't make a difference what it is. Meaning, if you don't kill this animal, it kills the person. It kills whatever is next to it. And uh, this animal, the only way to kill it is if you shoot it in its belly button, uh, but not in a what people think. Why the belly button? Because its belly button is connected to the ground. There's, like I guess, apparently some type of tube that it's connected to the ground and it can travel very fast and uh, it's very, very vicious and strong. And the only way to kill it is by shooting some type of an arrow, or at least in those days, an arrow, on the disconnecting it from the ground. Otherwise, there's no way to kill it. Uh, there are also different creatures that are very, very small. I'm not talking about small like short people. I'm talking about like, you know, like a microphone small, like tiny little things. And all types of other interesting creatures that exist. There was actually a uh, uh, a time where there was a uh, um, a person that had uh, two people. It wasn't a person with two heads. It was two people connected. Came to Shlomo Amelech, and uh, well, actually, I think it was three three people, three people in one. Came to Shlomo Amelech and said that they had an inheritance, and uh, one of the people, even though they're all connected feels like he deserves more than the others. And they were arguing among them who deserves the most. They, one said that he deserves, the other one says he deserves uh, because he's really the dominant one, the other ones are inferior. Shlomo Amelech cleverly uh, uh, solved this uh, problem by saying simple, no problem, I could just pour hot water on you. If he feels it, then I know that uh, you guys are uh, really uh, connected. If he doesn't feel it, then yeah, you deserve everything. So, you know, he, uh, Shlomo Melech was able to deal with all types of things. The point being is that a lot of the things that people see on the internet and so on, aside from it being CGI and all types of graphics, which today, Baruch Hashem, with new uh, AI and all types of new uh, softwares that are available out there, you could literally make anything you want in a matter of seconds. You could uh, put any person uh, out there and uh, you could... Uh, just simply record their voice and uh, for, for, for one second. And some people say not even record their voice for one second. It's, you could literally just use uh, all types of voices and you could have this person say anything you want in any language. Or you could have a person take a picture of a person and they could literally turn it into a film of that person doing whatever it is that you want them to do. They took, I believe it was the uh, chief idol worshiper, the Pope, and they put some type of... Uh, 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 clothes on him from some type of uh, uh, fashion company uh, and they did the same thing with the uh, uh, Donald Trump and they did it with a bunch of things so the point is that today you could do a lot of things needless to say this is not uh, new right now There's, there has been a 
things that are similar to this already for years where you could use all types of CGI uh, computer technology and simply also just the uh, 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 people that know how to do arts and crafts. They can make things and they can make it look like there's a uh, UFO, there's an alien in the world. So that's number one. Number two, even if something, something does exist, someone saw something, it doesn't necessarily mean that this thing came from a different planet. Because as I said, Shlomo Melech had access to all types of creatures that other people saw. He brought them in front of people, in front of thousands of people. That we would call them aliens if we saw them, but they're, they're not aliens. They live in this world. They just don't live in New York and in California, you know, on uh, the, the 15th floor. They live in different places, underground, in, uh, in different parts of the world that are uninhabited. There is very, very little knowledge about the world. Unlike what people think, where people are already trying to, uh, you know, uh, uh, explore outer space, the truth is that the majority of the planet, of our planet, is uninhabited, unexplored, unknown. No one has been there. No one lives there. No one knows anything about it. And I'm not just talking about Antarctica and Greenland where it's all ice. I'm talking about the jungle, places in Africa. There is a huge amount of land all around the world, even in America, that's completely unknown to anybody because no one's been there. So uh, people think that just because something is on some map, therefore we know everything that's there. It's completely false. So there's a lot of things that we don't know about the world. That's number one. Next thing is, you also have to know that reality is not dictated by what people think. Rather, reality is what's written by God. If it's written in the Torah, it exists. If it's not written in the Torah, it simply doesn't exist. Doesn't exist. Now, I don't mean that it doesn't exist in a sense that it's a uh, uh, literally doesn't exist, meaning that when I say it doesn't exist, it means that it'll never uh, uh, interact with you, me, and the larger part of society. So if there are, let's say, civilizations of people, or aliens, or whatever you want to call it, that live on some planet far away, don't think that just because you saw in the movies that those uh, people or aliens that live in other planets are one day going to get really upset and really hungry, and they're going to decide to use their advanced technology to come to Earth out of all places uh, in the universe and conquer the land and take the energy and, and kidnap the people and all types of stupid things that people see in movies. None of that will ever happen. How do I know for a fact without knowing the future? Simple. It's not written in the Torah. Anything that's relevant to our lives throughout all of history, from the beginning of the world until the Mashiach comes, is written in the Torah. The future, the present, and the past are all in the Torah. And nowhere will you ever find that some alien uh, terrorist in a really big ship is going to come to earth and, and, and shoot people or eat people or, or whatever crazy movies come up with. This is all nonsense. This is all shtuyot. This is all things that people make up in their imagination because they have nothing better to do. So none of that will ever happen. The same thing with a lot of these sci-fi movies where they, uh, you know, they uh, give people the 
uh, imagination that the world is going to be destroyed by all types of things. None of that stuff exists. There are certainly prophecies about the end of days of how there's going to be a big war, how there's going to be certain earthquakes and, and major disasters, but all of that is detailed by the prophets. Anything that's not there does not exist. It only exists in people's imagination. So if the question is, are there creatures that look different than us? The answer is 100% yes. We know that for a fact because we see it in the Torah. Are there creatures that exist in, let's say, uh, some type of civilization in other planets? That's a possibility. Will they ever come here? No. Will they ever influence our life? Absolutely not. Why? It's not written in the Torah. Anyone that tells you otherwise is simply making stuff up. Simply making stuff up. So it's important for you to know that reality is determined by what's written in the Torah and not what's written in Hollywood. Is Bill Gates Jewish? Not to my knowledge. Allah Akbar. God is great. What am I reading? Different parts of the written and the oral Torah. Look up any CEO of any major company today. He's Jewish. Well, I happen to be a Wall Street veteran with nearly two decades of uh, being on Wall Street and making major investments north of a billion dollars uh that uh, have quite a bit of knowledge about major corporations around the world and you are 100 percent wrong the vast majority of companies do not have jewish people running them there are certainly uh jewish people in major corporations as we discussed in last week's show but to say that the majority of companies have uh ceos that are jewish is simply a uh, uh, just a stupid statement it's just a stupid statement that there are certainly successful jews certainly uh, uh jews that are ceos certainly but to say majority that just simply means you do not understand the number of companies that are out there you think that the companies that are out there are maybe like the s p 500 like 500 companies you don't realize there are literally millions of companies out there there's not enough jews in the world for there to be the majority of comp of, of ceos being jewish but that's why I really uh, took it uh, to uh, 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 an extent of explanation last week, you know, to tell you guys to educate yourself before you make such ignorant statements because you're making yourself look foolish. Whatever you are, Jewish or not Jewish, just statements like that, blanket statements like that, that are unqualified, they just make you look stupid. It just, it's, it's just a, it's a ridiculous statement. Let's talk about Talmud and how it promotes living for personal gain and how everyone who isn't Jewish is simply a slave to the Jews. Uh, well, you obviously did not learn the Talmud and the only thing you know is perhaps a few tweets and, uh, and, and, and uh, anti-Semitic remarks about the Talmud. The Talmud is comprised of 60 Masechtot between the Yerushalmi and the Bavli. 
each one has thousands of dapim. If you're going to complete the Talmud Bavli in a single year, that means that you have to learn seven dapim, which is the equivalent of 14 pages per day, every day for a year, and then you complete it in a single year. Uh, if you're going to do the Yerushalmi, then it's a little less. It has 24 masechtot. Either way, the, uh, the number of pages in the Talmud uh, is the least of your concern because the amount of information is in every single page of the Talmud is more than your brain can even handle. Uh, so to say such foolish statements like the Talmud promotes personal gain and everyone is a slave, that is such a contradictory oxymoron that makes you look like a moron that really it's, it's a shame that you are representing a people. You're representing your family, you're representing uh, your your community. You're present. You're representing even a, literally a certain segment of of society, because you're saying things that don't make any sense. Let's just let's just let's just work with this. Let's just show you how stupid you really are. So maybe you will do tshuva and fix yourself. You're saying that Talmud promotes living for personal gain. Yeah. What is wrong with telling people to do better? in order to gain from it what do you want us to teach people be suicidal you want us to teach people to tell people you want us to teach people that they should kill themselves that they should uh, do bad things to themselves so they don't they don't they lose go work make money and and just throw it in the garbage because it's really fun oh make make a lot of food and don't eat it starve to death like what do you want us to teach of course it's personal gain who doesn't teach for personal gain you moron who does not teach for personal gain everything is for personal gain whether you're a jewish you teach for personal gain you're islam you teach for personal gain christians teach for personal gain atheists teach for personal gain lgbtq crazies personal everything is personal gain who doesn't teach for personal gain you moron who doesn't teach that then you're saying everyone else is a slave okay so we're contradicting ourselves wait a minute how is it a personal gain and everyone's a slave wait so so therefore you're saying that the jewish personal gain means that everybody has to be a slave so if everyone's a slave that means you're my slave so i command you to come to my house and clean my lawn oh you're not coming why not oh that's because you're not a slave you're not a slave so apparently what you're saying makes no sense you're saying that we're saying that everybody's a slave but you're not a slave why you're making comments that if you were my slave I'd probably kill you. In fact, if you were anybody's slave, they would probably kill you because of how stupid you are. But what a person must realize is that they have to really qualify their statements. They have to do research. They have to do analysis. I am so tired of people making foolish statements and presenting themselves as knowledgeable in such a time where the more ignorant people are, the more arrogant they are, which is a complete... uh, ridiculous oxymoron the more ignorant you are the more silent you should be gain knowledge then speak but you're saying things wait everyone's a slave are you a slave no who's a slave today who's a slave to the jews today who's who what are you talking about what slave oh it says in the talmud everyone's a slave show me show me where in the talmud it says that everybody's a slave show me do you even know how to read the talmud do you know anything a person must realize when they're making these statements you are 
literally not just going against the jewish people and you're not just going against the torah and god just put all of that aside for a moment you are making yourself and everyone out there that is in essence connected to you look ridiculous you're making an, an embarrassment out of yourself because of how foolish you are you are the one that is making yourself look stupid you are the one that is making gentiles look stupid you are the one that is making yourself look literally like you need to be instituted i know quite a few people that are not jewish and they're certainly much brighter than you so you're certainly not a representing representing them but you are representing yourself as if you are so please go learn something before you make stupid statements my thoughts on puerto rican jews my thoughts on puerto rican jews what thoughts should i have about puerto rican jews why, why would i care if they're puerto rican or if they're black or if they're sephardi or ashkenazi or litvish or hasidish if a person is righteous according to the torah Baruch Hashem. if they're not they have serious problems whether they are black blue burgundy pink doesn't make much of a difference no one that has any ounce of torah knowledge cares about uh the the person's uh you know where they live and 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 what type of food they eat the only thing that matters according to the torah is whether they're righteous or wicked simple Why do the Jews do the blood circumcising ritual? If you're talking about why is it that when there is a baby that's eight days old, when he's circumcised, the mohel does uh, what's called metzitzah peh, where he, uh, uh, he sucks out the blood from that area after the circumcision. If that's what you're asking, that's because the Talmud teaches us that after the circumcision the blood that's in that that's in the tube is physically dangerous for the baby 
where if it's not removed, the baby can die. So the mohel, the one that circumcises the baby, makes in essence the uh, the the effort to remove that from the uh, from the male member, and obviously spit it out, in order to save the baby's life, in order to make sure that the baby is not harmed, in order to make sure that the baby is not in danger. And we've learned that uh, throughout tra- the tradition that this best way to do it is that way, rather than to do it in, in other ways. There are some chachamim that say that in today's world there's enough technology that it could be done uh, better with a, uh, with a tube, uh, a suction tube. And there are some chachamim that say that you, uh, you can't do it with a suction tube, but there are some that say that we're not allowed to do it with a suction tube since our tradition has been throughout the generations to do it this way with the uh, the person putting their mouth there. Now, of course, the holy people of Israel never thought that uh, the the uh, 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 demented people of society today are going to be such pedophiles and, and spiritually sick people that they're going to think that the mohel, the rabbi, the holy person that's volunteering his service, he's not making money out of it, uh, that is... Uh, 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 taking blood out of a, a, a baby's body in order to save his life is somehow getting any ba- benefit from it. This literally never entered the mind of the holy people because we don't think like sick people. Only in today's world do sick people think like that, where they think that somehow this is, uh, uh, this is uh, you know, pleasing to the, to, the, to the rabbi that's doing it. Like, how could this be, ble- what is he, a vampire? How, like, I, don't understand, I don't understand the logic behind it. Uh, now, if you're going to say, oh, no, it's not about that. It's about that if he's uh, uh, putting his mouth there, the baby can get herpes. Do me a favor with this nonsense. There is a, not a single verified case of herpes uh, that can be proven without a shadow of a doubt that happened from there. Uh, the, the, the one case that people are mentioning, oh, the baby got herpes, it's already been clarified that there are plenty of other ways that the baby could have gotten herpes. And anyway, do you know how many uh, circumcisions are done every single day? Even if you were to say there's one case or two cases or five cases or ten cases where somehow the baby has been harmed by this, which you're not going to find ten cases, you're not even going to find five cases. But let's just say you're going to find ten cases. If you compare that to the number of circumcisions that are done every single day, Literally, it's a statistical. Uh, 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 it's statistically inconsequential. It's so, it's a number that is is so limited percentage-wise that it wouldn't even show up on a chart. If you're familiar with statistics, hopefully you've learned something in your life. Uh, it's called math. Statistics is part of math. Uh, anyway, statistics. Uh, you know, you have to do an analysis on things. And in order to determine, number one, the frequency, the average, the mean, the, the, the median, all types of different numbers, most likely are beyond your head. But the point being is, is that a person needs to know that even if something happens, it doesn't mean that it will always happen. It doesn't mean that it is a, uh, uh, it won't happen. Uh, you, and you have to analyze over a large number in order to assess the magnitude of risk. So if you say... Listen, the, uh, uh, you have, uh, I know a Moel, for example, that has done probably 35, when I knew, when I knew him, he did maybe 35,000, 35,000 circumcisions in his life. 30, just, just do the math of how many circumcisions you have to do, how many days, how many weeks, how many years. 
35,000 circumcisions, even by himself. Adam Wa'alim, I know, did thousands of circumcisions. And so if you do 30,000 circumcisions, and let's just say one kid somehow got sick, and somehow they want to blame it on him. Let's just say. If you were to do that as a chart for, let's say, a company, a business, the business, every day, it made money. Every day it sold products and made money. For how long? For 35,000 days in a row. Do you know how many how many days are 35 days in a row? 365, according to the Gregorian calendar, is one year. 3650, 10 years. 36,000, that's 100 years. So a business made, let's just go on a business. He made money every single day for 100 years. And one day, it lost money. But then it went back to making money. Would you invest in this business? Or say, nah, come on, this business is garbage. I'm not investing anymore. What would you do? Not only would you invest in it, you'd put your aunt and your uncle and your grandparents and, and your friends, you'd convince everybody to invest in it. Why? It's the best investment in the world. It's, it has a track record. So that's how, if you look at the Jewish people and you look at what we've done throughout history, you put the money on us. Why? Because you see, our Torah led us to the right places. Anytime we follow the Torah, success was brought to the world. Anytime we went against the Torah, unfortunately, everyone suffered. Uh, you know, especially the Jewish people. But the point being is, is that when people want to make statements like, oh, but it's, a, uh, 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 it's dangerous, that just simply means that you don't know anything. You don't know anything because you don't understand how many circumcisions are made every single day, how many are done every year, how many have done throughout history. And simply for you to look at the number and say, oh, look, there was one here and one there and one question over there, and therefore it's dangerous. This is like the people that say, oh, look, the, uh, the coronavirus vaccine uh, is dangerous. There's people dying every day. I'm just wondering, where are these people that are dying every day? They're, you know, because there was a bunch of conspiracy theories that, uh, and I'm no advocate of the vaccine or anything, but just simply the, 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 the delusional mindset that is swarming society today is really just, I'm just wondering, maybe it is better off that we have AI run the world. Like just simply replace people because most likely they'll make less less foolish mistakes. Like people say, look, look, this this vaccine is it's killing everybody. People are dying everywhere. Where? Where are they dying? I go outside, nobody's dying. Even though I would very much be happy if my Nazi next door neighbor would die, it would actually be a, I would I would send flowers, but but it would I would celebrate. He's a Nazi. He didn't die. I'm positive he took the vaccine. And I'm positive he's a Nazi also. But he didn't die. Nobody died. Who's dying? Oh, there's people dying on the internet? People are dying on the internet. Rabotai, Karim, you have to understand. If you look at the death statistics in the world, you will see that there are over 60 million people die every single year. Over 60 million people die every single year. That means a few hundred thousand people die every single day. They go to sleep and they don't wake up. They get into car accidents. They die from diseases. Whatever the case is, they die. hundreds of thousands of people die every single day. Now, if you compare the number of people that died this year versus last year, the year before, two years ago, three years ago, any other year over the last two decades, 
You're not going to see any difference. You're not going to see, oh, look, there's a spike of death after the vaccine came into the world. In fact, there wasn't even a spike of death after the, the, uh, the, uh, the uh, um, disease came to the world. There's no spike of death. So, oh, yeah, but look, this athlete died from it. And this. Okay, he died. Send flowers. We're sorry. Read Kaddish on them. Doesn't mean that there's a some type of like superpower government out there that is uh, simply killing everybody. That's just conspiracy theories. It's just nonsense. People simply do not understand that the things that are on the internet more times than not are just simply sensational and in order to get people to do stupid things. The more sensational, the more people uh, unfortunately uh, become uh, do stupid things. This is leading to more damage than what people are afraid of. People are afraid of, uh, uh, you know, of, of capitalism. So what do they do? They go and destroy stores. People are afraid of prejudice. What do they do? They burn towns. People are afraid of uh, not getting uh, the, the, uh, you know, the right uh, representation in society. So what do they do? They take over entire cities. Now, do any of these results help society? Help the people? Help anybody? No. All you see is Sacramento, San Francisco, and different parts of the uh, United States are comprised of a bunch of new homeless people that choose to be homeless, living on the street, doing drugs, making all types of crimes for society and, 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 and eternity. Who benefits out of it? No one. Certainly not them. You see a bunch of criminals using the excuse of not getting represented or not getting this or not getting that, protesting by going and robbing stores in, 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 in broad daylight. Who is that helping? Nobody. Nobody. So again, it's, it, yeah, people have to simply understand that there is a way to live. If you want to live a good life, the Torah has a clear instruction set, both for the Jews and the Gentiles to live a righteous life. You're going to live based on what you learn on the internet, then simply said, you've, you are following a different religion. You can call it the internet. You're calling it, uh, call it whatever you want, but it's the internet. You're following the religion of the internet. And that religion is not going to lead you anywhere good. Are Jews considered white? Uh, no. I mean, if you consider uh, people that live in Africa white, if you consider people that live in India white, if you consider people that live in China white, if you consider people that live in the Middle East white, then apparently all Jews are white. But generally speaking, most other people in society are not going to consider them white because people that live in certain parts of Africa are black. Certain people that live in India are look like they're Hindu. People live in Asia look like they're Chinese or all types of uh, other uh, uh, 
uh, Asian. And Jews look like all of them. Meaning there are Jews that look exactly like non-Jewish Chinese people. There are Jews that look exactly like non-Jewish Japanese people. Non-Jewish uh, Indian people. They look exactly like them. You, can, If you looked at the Jew and the non-Jew, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference if it wasn't for the yarmulke, the kippah, or the, the, the clothing. If, it, if they both wore the same thing, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. Why? Because Jews, the Zohar Kadosh teaches, their looks are, they're the only people that their looks change based on the air they breathe over time. Unlike all other people, they're, uh, which, which are impacted by their genes, Jews are impacted by the air. And I know that science, obviously, uh, that people will, uh, will say disagrees with it and there's no verified, blah, 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 all that good stuff. But according to the Torah, that's what it is. Jews, their looks change over time based on the air they breathe, meaning based on their environment. If a Jew lives in uh, New York and then he decides to move to India, he himself is not going to change his looks. But over a uh, period of time, his son, his grandson, his great-grandson, if they continue living in India, little by little, they're going to start looking like the people that live in India. If they move to China, over a period of several generations, their descendants, even without intermarriage or, or, or anything like that, I'm talking about just simply if they stay exactly what they are, they'll start looking like the people of whatever country they live in. And that's how it's been throughout all the generations. Hence the reason why if you look online, you will see videos of Jews that come from all walks and sizes. Baruch Hashem, we're actually making a video about that, like a short film uh, about that, that you'll see actual footage, pictures and videos of Jews that literally look like pretty much everybody uh, that is from the non-Jewish world. And, uh, and you'll see that this is something that, uh, uh, you know, it's, it, it defies the, uh, the common logic today, the, the stereotype of today, especially the stereotype of, of, uh, of the West, where they think that all Jews look like uh, white Ashkenazim, uh, you know, like, like Seinfeld or something, or Adam Sandler. Uh, that's uh, 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 not even a majority of Jews. Uh, you know, there are certainly Jews that look uh, like them, but there are certainly Jews that look like me, which is Middle Eastern. There's Jews that are black. There's Jews that are uh, 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 Asian, Hindu, all types of uh, uh, types of uh, Jews from South America. Uh, so there are Jews of all walks and sizes. So there is no such thing as a white Jew or a black Jew or uh, uh, that everybody is that way. There is we're everything. All right, let's look at some questions from Facebook. Shalom from Ghana, Bitachon community. Is it superstition or does the Torah mention anything about a baby that shouldn't look at the mirror? A uh, baby shouldn't look in the mirror? Uh, not that I know of. Uh, I mean, generally speaking, it's not good for an adult to look in the mirror too much, uh, especially an adult male. There are some chachamim that forbid it completely. Uh, the Shulchan Aruch actually says that a male shouldn't, shouldn't look at the mirror. Uh, you know, and there are some chachamim that say it's completely forbidden. Some say that it is a, uh, if it's minimal, only for the sake of putting your tefillin on uh, for a man to look in the mirror. So most guys today, unfortunately, especially young guys, spend a lot of time looking in the mirror. So the problem is with the adults, not the babies. 
How can I convince some of my relatives and friends of the importance of following the Torah? When I explain, they say that because you are orthodox. So if you are conservative or reform, driving on Shabbat, it's allowed for, for me. How can I make them understand the truth? Um, my suggestion is always for people to speak less and show more meaning. Uh, many times people want to communicate their, uh, their, their sense of truth, their, uh, their, uh, their beliefs with other people. But what they're not taking into account is that most of the time, their family and friends are not receptive uh, to you because it's you, not because of what you're saying. Because they may remember you as what you used to be before you became Torah observant. Or they remember you when you, you know, were younger. Or when you were uh, not in a, doing good. Or whatever it is. So they already have some type of uh, bias towards, being, towards listening to you. So it's very, very difficult for a person to do kiruv with people that are close to him. Uh, you know, especially family members, close friends. It's very, very difficult for anybody. Including myself, anybody. On the other hand, if you show them, meaning you invite them to come to your house uh, to watch a, uh, a film or to watch a lecture together, or you screen it in their house, or whatever it is, they're much more inclined to listen to the speaker that doesn't know them personally, that they don't have any type of uh, stereotype on or any type of uh, 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 bias over or anything like that. They're much more likely to be receptive to them uh, than to be t- uh, to you. So uh, it's, it's important for a person to know that it's, a, uh, it's not just you that they're not listening to, it's anybody that's in your position that you, usually people don't listen to. Uh, so my recommend, number one recommendation is for you to show them lectures, invite them to watch Torah films that we've made, uh, rather than speak to them and rationalize with them. Because once they listen to someone uh, like myself that, uh, that they don't have any opinion about me yet, uh, they're going to automatically be more receptive and later on as they listen to more they'll decide whether this is a uh, something they want to follow whether it makes sense to them or not but at the very least they will be uh, more open about it uh, because it's not coming from somewhere that's close to home someone that's uh, they uh, they already have some type of bias over Uh, hi, uh, hi, awesome rabbi. I have a question about sleep paralysis. What kind of sins can lead to sleep paralysis and what should one do in order to prevent it? Um, so the two common sins that uh, lead to sleep paralysis as well as to see all types of uh, creatures, call them demons, mazikim, uh, whatever you want to call them, there's different types, there's uh, many different types. Uh, some are see-through, some are smoke, some are, you know, whatever. There's all, all types of interesting creatures in the world that most people do not see and prefer not to see. Uh, now, uh, those uh, things are uh, usually created by big sins. And the two most common sins are uh, immorality, meaning promiscuity with self, promiscuity with other people, uh, you know, all types of uh, 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 things that are relevant to that. And two, idolatry. Anyone that has uh, any remnant of idolatry in their house, in their life, uh, you know, is, is likely to see these things, uh, or more likely to see these things, uh, not just during uh, a, a horrible ex- experience like sleep paralysis, 
but even during being awake, they could simply be awake in the middle of having dinner and see stuff. Moving, turning on, turning off, all types of scary stuff. So a person needs to purify themselves and, uh, and uh, it'll happen less. I'm not promising that it'll happen, it won't happen at all because there are certain very righteous people that uh, have these things happen to them. Uh, and it's not because of the two sins that I mentioned to you, but rather because of other reasons. Other reasons I'm not going to talk about, but other reasons uh, uh, that they happen. Generally speaking, the two most common reasons, meaning 99% of the time of why these things happen is because of what I said. The other 1% is not relevant to most people. So therefore, it's no need for me to discuss it. Uh, the Torah said that God gave to the Israelites at Sinai the same Torah he gave to Adam. Uh, based on Adam being the first man, Israel the firstborn. Uh, not sure where, where you get that, but no, the, uh, the, um, what Am Yisrael got was the written Torah and the oral Torah. Uh, what Adam Arishon got was the oral Torah. So he didn't get the whole thing yet. He got only part of it. Uh, questions about wigs. Since the point is to cover the hair, in the same way clothes are to cover the body, and clothes that look like naked skin would be immodest, has Hashem made the world so that it's impossible to get a kosher wig to prevent one circumventing the law to cover the hair by covering it with more hair? I'm having a tough time understanding your question, but uh, the way to cover the hair has always been with a mitpachat, with either a scarf or a hat. Uh, that's the way that, uh, you know, the, uh, our matriarchs uh, and all the righteous women that I mentioned in the Torah, that's how they covered their hair. You're never going to find a, a verse or even a midrash saying that Sarah, Rivka, Rachel, Leah, Hannah, Chulda, Esther, or any of these uh, uh, righteous people covered their hair with a wig. You're just not going to find it. Uh, so uh, needless to say, the wigs of today. In fact, covering the hair with a mitpachat, with a scarf or a hat, was common behavior even for the non-Jews uh, throughout most of history. So it's not even something that was uh, uh, unique only to the Jewish people. It was very, very common among all women around the world uh, to cover their hair. As far as the wig is concerned, the wig is a, uh, there, are, there are certain permissions to put on a wig uh, under certain conditions if the wig came from a kosher source. But once it was discovered uh, that in recent history, the, uh, 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 the people that uh, uh, were in that business discovered the treasure trove of the wigs industry, which is India, because there it's part of their idolatry to sacrifice their hair to their false gods, uh, thereby making it free uh, for the people that are getting it, and, and, and it's very profitable for them uh, to sell it to the people, not the people that are uh, giving it. They're giving it for free. They're donating it uh, or sacrificing it to their false god for free. So that's what makes it forbidden. The fact that they're selling it doesn't make it permissible. Uh, and it's, uh, again, it's a completely different person selling it. Uh, the churches or whatever, the, or those, those uh, places of idolatry uh, have people sell it. Uh, and m many times it's unbeknownst to the people that are actually making the sacrifice to the false god. Now, even if uh, you tell them that they're selling it, they wouldn't really care. And I have that on video that uh, they say they don't really care. But the point being is, is that uh, since the uh, wigs are coming from 
uh, a place of idolatry, it's forbidden for, uh, for the Jewish people to benefit from it or to use it in any way, shape, or form. Uh, so uh, they, anyone that wants to, cover, to fulfill the mitzvah of covering our hair should simply go back to the way that it's always been permissible and recommended to cover your hair, which is with a mitpachat or a hat, whichever one you want. Can you please recommend a sefer in English that discusses physical and spiritual remedies from the tzaddikim or mekubalim? Uh, I mean, you can get in English. Uh, you could uh, get the book Aneni. Aneni, A-N-E-N, A-N-E-N-I. Aneni has uh, multiple prayers in there. Uh, by uh, different Mekubalim, the Chida, Rabbi Udaftaya, and uh, many other Mekubalim uh, that are uh, certainly uh, uh, good to use. Uh, and you could uh, see there, Aneni. That's the, uh, that's the book. Why couldn't Shlomo Melech have used angels and Nechoshen or, or prophecy to find the Shamir worm instead of using demons? Uh, because the uh, Choshen and prophecy is not something to use for your personal needs. Uh, anyone that used prophecy or, 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 uh, or well, uh, the Choshen uh, for their personal uh, needs uh, would, uh, would be in very, very serious trouble. So he wasn't allowed to do it. Is a daughter allowed to bathe her disabled father? No, you need to get somebody else to do it. Uh, obviously light bulbs are like fire and therefore not permitted on Shabbat but when it comes to things like LCD phone screens in, uh, in what way is touching those considered desecration of Shabbat uh, so the uh, phone screens and uh, all other types of LCDs are considered muktzeh uh, for multiple reasons number one it's a uh, it's uh, Bone, the Alcha of Bone, which is uh, you're completing a circuit. Anytime you complete a circuit, it's a Isul uh, Torah. That's one of the reasons. Uh, there are some Chachamim that are considering that fire also, uh, but ultimately it's also something that does not belong in the realm of Shabbat. It's, a, it's something that belongs to the uh, place of the mundane during the week. Uh, but either way, it's considered a forbidden according to all sages. Do you recommend mandatory uniforms for yeshiva students? Uh, sure, yeah, uh, 100%. I think that uh, yeshiva students and uh, seminary students should certainly have a modest uh, uh, uniform of some kind, if as long as it's affordable uh, and it's modest, it should be. Uh, it should be. It's very good to do. Uh, but if it's not modest, then obviously it's not recommended. Uh, I was thought that if, for example, a piece of bread falls to the ground, you throw it out and say, kapara. Is this a valid custom? Is this a source for it? No, it's not a valid custom, and you should not do that. Uh, it depends on, uh, you know, how much bread and uh, uh, what kind of bread. No, just because something hit the floor does not make it a uh, uh, garbage. No, it's baltashrit. Uh, you'll actually even see there are videos of a... Uh, uh, some really big chachamim. Uh, in fact, I saw a video some time ago of a big chacham that was eating a new food that somebody was offering him, and uh, while he was holding it, it fell on the floor. After he made the blessing, he picked it up from the floor and ate it. 
The guy that was giving him the food said, no, 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 you could have something else. He goes, no, I made the blessing on this one. I have to eat this one. So, so just because something fell on the floor uh, does not make it garbage. That's, that's, I don't know, fairy tales that people make up. Uh, I, Rabbi, there's the Matchmaker Netflix series where the religious woman is setting up non-religious Jews a display of Kiddush or Chilul Hashem. Anything on Netflix is Chilul Hashem. Anything that anyone that watches Netflix is desecrating the name of Hashem themselves because it's forbidden to watch these uh, these types of programs. Uh, it's forbidden to be a part of all of this. Uh, and uh, a woman that's making... Uh, 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 religious Jews um, uh, uh, come together as it should not be a public display. There's no reason whatsoever uh, for uh, for anyone to uh, uh, to see what's happening between uh, you know two people that may or may not ever be together. Needless to say, Jewish women. So no, there's certainly no uh, mitzvah of kiddush Hashem there, and chilul uh, Hashem is more likely. Uh, for the shield Torah and for the life of Kvot Thank you. Shalom um, If you lived at the time of Bil'am in Itro, why did Hashem choose him as the prophet for the nations instead of Bil'am? Uh, well, Itro chose his path and Bil'am chose his path. They, uh, they both actually were... Uh, Servants under uh, under Paro, they're both servants under Paro, and you know uh, while uh, Itro spoke for uh, the uh, the benefit of the Jews, Bilam spoke against the Jews. Bilam uh, promoted slavery and killing Jews, while Itro said that you shouldn't kill them because they're the ones that actually built this country in his first place from their forefather uh, Yosef. Uh, so Itro uh, merited being a, a righteous convert. Uh, due to that, and also having his son-in-law be Moshe Rabbeinu. Uh, I heard about some terrible things and rules about child marriage in Islam. I was wondering, what does the Torah say about those things? Like, what is the earliest person uh, can be uh, ready for marriage, and how uh, big could the uh, age gap be? And what are the sources for these answers? Uh, okay, so as far as if you look at the uh, times of the Torah itself, the biblical times, uh, then you'll see that marriage was done at very, very different ages. So, for example, uh, 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 Yitzchak married Leah uh, when she was three. Uh, and, but they only consummated the marriage three years later. Now, if this was done today, this would obviously be considered pedophilia, wrong according to all opinions of Judaism, as well as the law. But if you look at the, uh, uh, at the Torah itself, you'll see that she was not a regular three years old person like the women of today, like the girl, the babies of today. A three-year-old today uh, is, is, is new to walking, new to speaking, new to everything, and obviously cannot function by themselves. Uh, if you gave her... A, uh, a bucket of water, she would not be able to even move it. Whereas Leah was able to go and take uh, 
multiple buckets of, uh, of water and give it to Eliezer and to give it to 10 camels and to give it to all the servants that were riding the camels. In so many words, she was able to do more than an entire football team uh, is able to do today. So she was obviously a very, very strong three-year-old, very developed three-year-old, not like the three-year-olds of today. Uh, so either way, there was a multiple years waited before they consummated the marriage, but it's not because of the age. The age three years old is not the same thing as the age three years old today. Same thing you'll see, for example, later on. You know, uh, the uh, King David married uh, uh, Bathsheba. Uh, King David married Bathsheba. The Gemara in Masechet Sanhedrin says that Bathsheba was six years old when she had Shlomo HaMelech as a son. She was six years old when she gave birth to Shlomo HaMelech. Do you, you see any six years old giving birth to anything? No, it doesn't exist in the world today. It's physically impossible for a six-year-old today to give birth. Now, certainly there are unfortunate cases of pedophilia where uh, 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 and crimes that are happening in society uh, that are forbidden uh, in a, uh, where people uh, do bad things and bad things happen to, to young people, to 9, 10, 11-year-old little girl. Uh, sure, but a six-year-old, meaning that she got pregnant at five years old, it's physically impossible for a girl to do that today. There's nobody developed like that. But Batsheva was already a developed woman at the age of five years old. So again, you can't really compare the age of the Torah to the age of the world today. The, the, the human uh, physiology has changed. The body has changed over the last several thousand years. People were able to see for 18 miles uh, back then, whereas today you're not even able to see uh, one mile ahead of you, uh, even if you have uh, very good vision. Uh, the people were much stronger back then. There were certain people that were much bigger back then. So the uh, the actual body itself has changed drastically since biblical times. Uh, so that's one thing that a person has to consider. Number two, uh, even though there are certain laws in the Torah that talk about how a, uh, a father can sell his daughter, uh, in so many words, to uh, uh, find her a husband and give her uh, to the husband, uh, even when she is young. This does not mean that the uh, the marriage is consummated when against the child's uh, 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 against the child's uh, choice and against their will, and it's a uh, promoting any type of pedophilia or any of that stuff. This is simply designating a certain person to a certain person, uh, you know, because of the conditions that were available at the time. Uh, number one, specific families. Two, financial situations. Uh, three, life choices. So there's a lot of things that go into it. Now, today and already for many, many years, many centuries, uh, it's generally acceptable for people to get married after they're considered adults. When are they considered adults? According to the Torah, a woman is considered an adult at 12 years old and a, and a, a man is considered an adult at 13 years old. Hence the reason why my grandparents, for example, they got married at that age. My grandfather was 13 years old. My grandmother was 12 years old. And so did many people's grandparents get married at such ages of 12, 13, 14, or was already old. Most people throughout all of history, not just uh, uh, Jewish history from 4,000 years ago, throughout all of history, most people got married at very young ages of 12, 13 years old. And that's across the globe, not just the Jewish people. 
whether it's the people of, of, of Islam, uh, the, the people of uh, other nations, generally speaking, marriage has always taken place at a young age, usually around young teenage age. According to the Torah, it's, it's, again, there's no problem of getting married sooner if this, uh, the proper laws are followed and so on. But uh, today, and what has been acceptable is uh, at least if they are considered adults. Now, are people getting married at that age now? No. Uh, most people are getting married today at older ages, usually if you're in the most uh, you know, religious communities, uh, the, uh, the Hasidim in, in, in Israel and other parts of uh, the world. Usually marriage will happen uh, maybe around uh, 18 years old. Uh, that's usually when marriage would happen is usually the earliest, sometimes a little younger, but not often. Uh, but generally it's usually around that age. 18 years old uh, uh, is uh, when people get married. Uh, it, usually it's a bad idea to wait uh, much longer. You, and, and people that, get, uh, that wait much longer by choice are frowned upon because it becomes more difficult to get married. Uh, and uh, uh, remain sinless for all that time if you wait until your 20s or, or, or even further. In fact, the Gemara says uh, a man that's 19 years old that is not looking to get married, not trying to get married, is cursed from heaven uh, because certainly he's going to sin. He's going to sin if he stays unmarried at such an age with all of the uh, things that happen with the body at that time. So it's a good idea for people to get married uh, younger rather than older, but again, uh, also a uh, they have to obviously be adults, uh, and of course they have to live in you know uh, certain communities. They can't just they uh, uh, decide to uh, get married at uh, 15 years old if they live in a society where that's uh, somehow unacceptable. Now the truth is that the laws of society are always the opposite of Torah, because the laws of a Torah always make sense, uh, especially over time. Whereas the laws of society always contradict sense. And what I mean by that is that today if you tell people what I just said, that a 12 and a 13 year old got married, a 13 year old boy and a 12 year old girl got married, 9 out of 10 Americans are going to say that's crazy, that's too young, that's pedophilia, that's uh, you know this, that's that. They're going to say all types of stupid things about it. But they won't have a problem if a 13-year-old boy has a, has, a, has a girlfriend that's 12 or 11 or 9. They have a problem with a 13-year-old getting married to a 12-year-old, but they have no problem telling their 11 or 10-year-old uh, son that he could uh, you know, have sleepover parties with, uh, with his girlfriend that's also 8 years old, 9 years old. They have no problem with that. So they don't mind having the acts of marriage uh but they do mind marriage so obviously you see that society at large is the opposite of torah because it's it's based on lust and and, and flaws of humankind rather than the laws of god that are always perfect so it's uh, important for people to know that if the first reaction you have that a 12 year old girl getting married oh that's too young you should know two things number one it's not common anymore Number two, your grandparents, and certainly your great-grandparents, they got married at that age, regardless of what background you're from. You could be German, you could be uh, uh, Muslim, you could be uh, Chinese, doesn't make a difference. Your great-grandparents, they got married at that age. That's number two. Number three is the most critical. Why don't you have a problem with teenagers having girlfriends and boyfriends? Ah, you're a hypocrite. 
That's the reality. That's the reality. So it's it's uh, people need to know that the uh, these details and actually have uh, uh, um, everything worked out in their head to know all the details before they uh, conclude anything. How did King Solomon find out that our son was an affliction in disguise when he was kicked out of his kingdom? Uh, was she a uh, convert? No, uh, but Sheva was not a convert, uh, not to my knowledge at least, uh, but uh, she uh, knew that uh, um, King Solomon was, uh, was, not, was a demon, uh, or King Solomon wasn't a demon, but uh, a demon kicked him out, as we said last, uh, last night uh, from the Gemara Masechet Gitin. It says that uh, Ashmedai, the king of the demons, kicked him out uh, and uh, changed his, he changed his image to look like King Solomon for several years. The Gemara says the way this, uh, that uh, Bathsheba, his, his mother, found out is that uh, one day this King Solomon, this fake King Solomon, uh, came, came on to, uh, to Bathsheba, to his mother, proposing for her to uh, do a forbidden act. And she knew that her son is a tzaddik, and there's no way that her son would do this. But she couldn't, there's nothing she could say. He looks exactly the same. He sounds the same. But obviously he's not acting the same. But she knew something was wrong. She knew something was terribly wrong. And uh, when she confided with uh, some of the uh, people, uh, they said that there is some uh, crazy guy that's been coming to the gate of the palace for a long time already, saying that he's really King Solomon, but we've never paid attention to him. Because we have King Solomon here. So before they decided to go get him, she said, we have to test it out. So how did they test it out? The, uh, she was a very wise woman. She put a, um, some type of powder on the floor while this fake King Solomon was, uh, uh, was sleeping. And uh, as, as soon as he uh, woke up, you know, he, uh, you know, he left. He didn't realize what was happening. He left. And they came into the room and they saw the footprints, his bare footprints. And the bare footprints showed that it's a demon. How did it show that it's a demon? The feet of demons are like, uh, like a chicken, like a bird. They're three, uh, three, uh, uh, whatever, three-toed type of animals. Uh, so they saw that these types of footprints were on the, on the floor, and that's how they knew that he's a uh, demon, and then they brought the real King Solomon back, and so on. Some sages actually say that uh, this, uh, you know, that King Solomon actually died uh, outside of the kingdom. He never came back to being a kingdom, to being a king again. But uh, ma- many say that he did come back after this. Uh, with there being so many strange creatures under the ground and even six more worlds according to the Zohar is the secular understanding of the inside of the earth crust mantle core wrong so are they uh, very deep within the earth uh, no I mean there's definitely a certain truth about uh, the, the scientific uh, knowledge that's uh, been verified at least about the uh, different parts of the earth that have uh, lava in it, water in it, and so on. But no, there's certainly a lot more to the world than what science is assuming. Anything that's verifiable, or it's been verified, there's obviously no problem with it. But most things in the world of science are, are, uh, are theories. They're theoretical. They're not facts. It's theoretical that there is 
you know, such and such at the core of the earth. It's theoretical that uh, the, the world is, uh, you know, uh, has a certain size, you know, whatever, a lot of the different things there. So anything that's been confirmed by science is no problem with, but many things were not confirmed. Uh, so, uh, yes, everything that's not confirmed is uh, certainly, uh, you know, we have to see what the Torah says about it. How can one guarantee that they will have the merit to convert? Is that possible? No, it's not possible for anyone to, ha- to, co- to guarantee that they will have the merit to convert until they actually convert. Uh, God doesn't owe anybody anything. Uh, let me see. Can someone be a rabbi of a non-Orthodox synagogue in order to turn it religious? No. It has to practice Orthodoxy even if the people are not religious. So if you mean that the people that attend that synagogue are not religious, but yet the rabbi that's leading them is practicing and teaching orthodoxy, that's not a problem. Yes, most synagogues are that way, where, most, where the people that congregate there are not religious, they're not observant, and the rabbi's job is to get them to do tshuva. That's perfectly fine. But if you're telling me that the practices of the synagogue are following reform or, 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 I don't know, Christianity or they're following uh, conservative or whatever they're following that's not orthodoxy, uh, then no, you're not allowed to step a foot into that place. Uh, can we eat regular kosher cheese with certification or must it, or must it be Chalav Israel? Uh, if you look at the uh, Psaq by Rabbi Moshe Feinstein he was Matil uh, the uh, just regular kosher milk if Chalab Yisrael was not available if it was not available then uh, regular kosher milk uh, was uh, was allowed uh but if Chalav Yisrael was, is regularly available, then a Jew must get Chalav Yisrael, uh, according to Rabbi Moshe Feinstein. But when it comes to other products, uh, such as uh, chocolates and other dairy products, it's much easier to uh, allow uh, regular kosher. Uh, the, the big issue is, is actual milk. That's the big issue. Actual milk, if you have readily accessible Easily accessible Chalav Yisrael, it's better for a person to get Chalav Yisrael, uh, according to all opinions. Now, as far as uh, is, is uh, having uh, um, regular uh, milk uh, allowed, 100% it's allowed. Yes, it's allowed to have regular, chalav, uh, re- regular uh, milk that's kosher, certification, there's no problem uh, to have it. Uh, but if you have good quality Chalav uh, Yisrael uh, available to you, then certainly that's preferable. Certainly that's preferable. Rav Meir Eliyahu he himself says that uh, he did uh, a personal research into the kashrut of, of dairy in, uh, in, in America, in, in the United States, and he says that he himself, and he's very, very stringent on a lot of things because he uh, paskins many things according to Kabbalah, uh, which is more strict. Uh, he himself would drink uh, regular uh, 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 kosher milk uh, in America without a problem. Uh, you know, he doesn't eat meat for already several years because he doesn't uh, trust the kashrut in meat. Uh, but unless he sees and knows who the shochet is. But as far as when it comes to, uh, uh, to, to dairy, 
he says that uh, the kashrut uh, here in the United States for dairy uh, is uh, is perfectly fine. There's no problem with it whatsoever. He himself would uh, would drink. I, I heard him myself say this. So uh, I, I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't be concerned about uh, uh, you know milk as long as it's kosher. There's no problem. Does punishment by death for breaking Shabbat or other big sins apply to boys even at 13 years old? Absolutely. There are even, uh, the Zohar Kadosh says that it applies to boys even younger than that. Erve Onan got punished with death penalty and they were only eight years old. Uh, there are certain sins that uh, are uh, punishable at all ages, even below 13 years old. Mainly, Zera Levatala, wasting seed, is punishable at all ages, even younger than 13. Would it be proper to buy kosher meat at a butcher shop as a non-Jew or shopping in general in a kosher uh, uh, grocery store? Would it be proper? Uh, if it's available to you, by all means, there's no problem doing it. Uh, there's no problem doing it. If it's available to you, by all means, you could buy it. Okay, let's see. we have anything else? All right, here we go. I'm looking back at uh, TikTok. Uh, you said you wanted to ask a question, but now you're not asking questions. see any questions why can't I convert who told you you can't convert you want to convert convert go to an orthodox bedin and convert um, uh, some of the stuff that uh, people are mentioning like this free Palestine or this Yoshke nonsense I'm not responding to it because it's just simply I've, I've, I've responded to it in the past already so it's just a waste of time um, person on the chat told you you shouldn't convert if you're that weak that a person that you don't even know on a chat could influence your opinion, then perhaps he's right. You shouldn't convert because to be a Jew, you have to be strong. What is the line between deception and pikuach nefesh? The two things have nothing to do with each other. If something is pikuach nefesh, that means that there's a life risk there. If something is deception, then that means it's deception. It's a lie. It's 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 certainly it's it's if it's deception then it's not pikuach nefesh if it's pikuach nefesh it's not deception there is no line it's simply uh, there's it's like saying what's the line between uh, 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 truth and falsehood there is no it's, it's either true or it's false if it's ninety nine percent true that means it's false it's a hundred percent false can a Jew buy out another chilul Shabbat non religions neshama. If you mean that uh, another Jew says that um, uh, he doesn't want to keep Torah, 
and uh, he doesn't care about the consequences of losing Olam Abba because he doesn't believe it. And you say you want to sell it. He says he would even want to sell it to you. You are allowed to buy it. And there's actually multiple stories of that happening. Uh, where one of the Chachamim actually mentioned it, that he was the witness, he was the Bedin. Uh, where uh, one guy uh, was foolishly uh, playing with fire, saying that he's willing to sell his Olam Abba for one dollar. He's willing to sell his Olam Abba for one dollar. And a religious Jew bought it. A religious Jew bought it, and uh, this person uh, saw that his whole life, he, after he sold his Olam Ba, his whole life went to the garbage. He uh, got into, uh, his life was really, really terrible after that, and uh, he died. And he came back to the dream, to, to the person that he sold his Olam Ba to, uh, and begging him to give it back to him. And initially, the guy thought it was just a dream, it's not real, but he kept coming every night, begging him, begging him, begging him, begging him, begging him, because, you know, he had, uh, he had unique problems because he made that stupid deal. And there's multiple stories like that from different Chachamim, uh, from the world of Hasidut, from the world of uh, the Sephardic sages, about people that made the mistake of selling the Olam So You're allowed to buy it if somebody wants to sell it to you, by all means, you can buy it. Uh, it's usually, it's a, you'll, you'll get a very good deal. Um... If they're stupid enough to sell it, you're allowed to buy it. Uh, how do we know that you're allowed to buy it? We know from the deal that Esav made with Yaakov, uh, where the Chachamim ask, how is it that Yaakov is allowed to uh, buy the firstborn rights from his older brother for, for a, a dish of, uh, of lentils? I mean, it doesn't seem like a fair transaction. It seems like uh, he cheated him. How is this allowed according to Torah? So the Chachamim Paskin and said the reason why it's allowed both in this in the Beddin of this world and the Beddin of heaven is because Esav was the one that determined the price uh, in such a disrespectful way, meaning he's the one that disrespected the value of the firstborn rights. And since he disrespected it and said that it's only worth, the firstborn rights is only worth a, a pot of lentils, then it's allowed. If he disrespected it, he created the price, he, he lost out because of his own stupidity. But if Yaakov was the one that made the price, then, then it wouldn't be allowed because that would be considered uh, 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 problematic. Uh, but it was Isav that determined the price and therefore he, uh, he lost out because of it. Uh, Zionism, Judaism. No, Zionism is not only not Judaism. Zionism is the enemy of Judaism. The two are completely different things. I have at least 50 lectures on my page uh, discussing uh, the details of why Zionism and Judaism are not only not alike, but they're literally enemies of each other. They're two completely different different things. There's a whole series based on the uh, book by uh, Arav Elchanan Vaslamin uh, that we did, 40 lectures. It's called Era of Mashiach. Much of it is talking about Zionism uh, you know, at the time, which was uh, before World War II, 100 years ago. Uh, and what it was and what it is uh, there's also a uh, 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 quite a few uh, books about the topic uh, that we've discussed over the years. Uh, there's also a book by Talmit Chacham uh, named uh, Rav Shapiro, uh, a, uh, a book called Empty Wagon. Uh, and he talks about how the truth of uh, Zionism is not, not, not only is it not Judaism, it's literally the biggest enemy of Judaism. Zionists are bigger enemies to Judaism than even the Muslims and the, uh, the Christian missionaries.
just so you understand. Uh, they've caused more damage to us than, than anybody else. Do you think that we as a people of the law have a cultural intellectual advantage as lawyers? Uh, it depends. If, if a Jew follows the law of the Torah, then uh, they certainly will have an advantage uh, over other people uh, in the world of laws, of, of legal work, uh, as long as he follows the law himself. Why? A few things. Uh, the, uh, the Gemara teaches you to think uh, much differently uh, than uh, than the average lawyer out there or the average person in society. It allows you to uh, think of things in a uh, very, very different, unique way. And if a, if a lawyer studies Talmud, they will certainly develop certain skills that do not exist in any law school out there. That's number one. Number two, the Gemara will teach you ethics, uh, something that is uh, rarely found in the world of law, uh, today, and I know it from, uh, from my experience with uh, many, many lawyers over the years that I've dealt with and still deal with. Uh, I've spent probably over a half a million dollars, maybe more, uh, on lawyers uh, over the years. And uh, I could tell you that ethics and law have nothing to do with each other, have nothing to do with each other. Uh, I've seen with, you know, uh, multiple times, lawyers literally go against their own client's interest just for the sake of benefiting uh, themselves. Going against all types of things just for the sake of, uh, of themselves. So uh, ethics and law have nothing to do with each other if it's not uh, the Torah law. So if a person is going to go into the world of, of, of law, if they learn the Talmud, they're going to learn m many, many strategies that don't exist, that are not taught, many thinking uh, thought processes that don't exist. They're also going to learn ethics. Uh, they're also going to learn the uh, how to, you know what's allowed, what's not allowed according to the Torah. And in essence, they're also going to be able to choose more carefully the cases they deal with. For example, uh, it's a very bad idea for a uh, Jewish person to be a criminal lawyer. And one of the reasons is is because a criminal lawyer typically is going to have clients that are criminals uh that uh they're gonna have to defend even though they are criminals and that's a very big problem according to the law you're not allowed to defend a criminal uh if he's really a criminal you're not allowed to defend him and many times the lawyer knows that his client is a criminal but he's still going to use the uh the his uh knowledge of the law and the uh deficiency in the law in order to justify uh his client walking away without uh getting punished for uh uh, for this actual crime, or he's going to fight against the criminal, uh, you know, for the sake of the civil justice, uh, and actually bring harsher punishments than the Torah will say. For example, if uh, you're going to uh, prosecute against someone that did something called insider trading, and you're going to be on the on the uh, prosecution side, uh, and uh, you're going to try to prove that this guy did insider trading, he bought a certain stock with information that was not available to the public, which is illegal according to the U.S. government, even though it's legal in other countries, needless to say, it's still illegal 
in America for anyone that doesn't work for the government. But if you work for the government, especially if you work for, work for Congress, and especially if you're Nancy Pelosi and our, and our friends or, or Hillary Clinton, then the rest of you losers are, that are not them uh, are uh, illegal for them. <laughs> the, the criminals are really the government members. But nonetheless, they, they are allowed to do insider trading. And it's known as a, a book called, uh, 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 I think it's called this Free USA, something like that, that talks about and documents different... Uh, uh, insider trading activity by um, by the uh, Congress members, congressional members of the U.S. government that are still there to this day. Either way, if you are not part of the Congress, you're not part of the so-called elite, and you are simply a uh, you know a guy that made a doctor out of Arkansas that uh, you know bought something because your friend that works for some company told you some information and you bought or sold a stock and made money as a result of it, the government can go against you and uh, prosecute you and go and put you in jail for many years, 10, 25 years. Uh, some people get literally go to jail for 25 years for, for such things. Uh, there's a guy named Raj Rajaratnam that uh, went to jail for over a decade. Even though he was a multi-billionaire, still they went against him and they... Uh, uh, they uh, convicted him of insider trading. Now, if you are a Jewish lawyer that is prosecuting against Raj Rajaratnam or anybody else, uh, and uh, you end up putting those people in jail, uh, or you end up causing them financial harm, in so many words, you win the case, you have yourself the biggest loss of your life. Why? Because you just, in essence, uh, uh, caused a loss that's against the Torah, meaning... There is nothing wrong with insider trading, according to the Torah. So if you now put that guy in jail for insider trading, you have a problem with God. You have a very, very serious problem with God. So uh, a, a lawyer uh, that learns the Talmud is going to know what's allowed, what's not allowed, where should I uh, exercise my knowledge of law and where I shouldn't. It's more, more likely better for you to delve into the world of business law uh, rather than criminal law, uh, even though there is a need. Uh, there is a need for criminal lawyers, but it doesn't need to be a Jew. It doesn't need to be a Jew. So the point is, is that there is a, uh, it's important for a person to uh, uh, take advantage of what's available to him, and certainly that's going to create a better lawyer uh, and a better person. But if a person thinks that just because they're Jewish, they're going to be a better lawyer, uh, even without learning the Talmud or anything else, then that's not necessarily true. That's not necessarily true. It's possible, but it's not true. Meaning it's not true under all circumstances. So the conclusion is, if I take an average Jew that's not religious, and I, pick, and I, and I give them the, uh, the bar... They're a lawyer. They don't learn Torah. They don't learn mitzvot. There's not necessarily a, uh, 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 an, an assurance that he will be better uh, than, uh, than uh, a black or, or Asian or uh, whatever other type of lawyer out there uh, just because of his, uh, of his genes. Uh, it's possible, but it's not necessarily always the case. There are certainly very good lawyers that are not Jewish. But if you tell me, take one of the avrechim from the kolel, uh, that's a talmit chacham, and make him a lawyer, he will be better than any lawyer in the world. You take one of the dayanim that we have in our kolel in Israel, 
and you make him a lawyer, chas v'shalom, it would never happen, but let's say you make him a lawyer, he would be a, he would be a better lawyer than any lawyer on earth. As far as the, the details of the law, I'm not talking about debating skills and stuff like that. I'm talking about knowing how to use the law and so on, he'll be a better lawyer than anybody else. Why? Because he knows how to think and analyze things uh, in ways that are unbeknownst uh, to the traditional society. Uh, so so there's the very, very different, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's a comparing a, a, a human to, uh, I don't know, a monkey. It's not, no, there's no comparison. With all due respect to regular people that don't learn Torah, but they're compared to monkeys more than they are, or cows, according to the Gemara Masechim Even if you're Jewish, if you're Jewish, you don't learn Torah, you're compared to a cow, less than a cow, if you're, if you're being compared to a Talmud Chacham. Why? Because, again, Talmud Chacham learns Torah, knows Torah, they're a world of difference. So it's certainly beneficial for a Jew to learn uh, Torah uh, if they go into anything, needless to say, if they're going to be a lawyer. All right, let's see. Last question. Forgive me for not making my question. Why didn't Hashem use Iov instead of uh, Bil'am to the prophet? Because Iov didn't speak up. The, The Midrash says, Gemara also, there was three people that worked for Pao. That when the question came up, the Jewish question came up. What should they do with the Jewish people? Bilam said, make them slaves. Itro said, leave them alone. They're good because they helped to build the country. He fought for them and then he ran away because his life was on the line. And Eov said, uh, stayed silent. So the uh, Torah says that the uh, all three of them got a decree. Eventually Bilam became the prophet of the Gentiles, but he got a death penalty also. So eventually Pinchas killed him. Uh, Itro because he spoke up for the Jewish people, he became a righteous convert, and Job uh, got punished for being silent, because even though he didn't speak against the Jews, he stayed silent, he didn't defend the Jews, and therefore he got that test and suffering that he got for that year, where he lost his kids and money and his health and everything else. Uh, Can a woman see a male podiatrist for an ankle or heel issue or a regular male doctor uh, it's a very good question very important question if there is a female doctor that is as good as the male doctor available to you then you must go to the female doctor you must go to the female doctor uh, if if uh, uh, there is no female doctor available or the male doctor is much better uh, then you can go to a male doctor but uh, usually in today's world you know, I would say that there is a uh, as many uh, good, uh, uh, you know, and skilled female doctors as there are male doctors. And quite frankly, having quite a bit of experience with doctors, 99% of your experience with doctors is not even with doctors, but rather with their nurses. <laughs> so I wouldn't put so much behind uh, the doctor part. I would just go to a female doctor, even if it looks like the male doctor is better. If it's not a life-threatening issue, go to a female doctor, and it's certainly better. Um, 
And of course, if you're a male doctor, go to a male doctor. If you're a male person, then you go to a male. Uh, okay, all right, guys. It's almost three hours. I have to gain some uh, strength now to do another lecture in a couple of hours in Hebrew. Thank you very much for learning with me. Shem bless each and every single one of you that's watching, that's contributing. If you want to donate, you could donate on our website, bezatashem.org or bhtorah.org. You could also order some uh, supplies to distribute in your community uh, for free on the uh, Kiruv website that we have, which is kiruvstore.org, K-I-R-U-V. S-T-O-R-E.org. You can order my book and, uh, and, and many other, the movie cards and the USBs and other things that are there for free. You can distribute to you, to your community. And uh, even if you don't want to distribute, you want to donate and help us distribute, you can do that too. Either way, School of Mitzvot Rabot, share this lecture, and Bezot Hashem, we will see each other again next week. Music